0: The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden. With your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder.
1: Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Garden. Glad you can join us this morning. You're listening to us on KWAM 990. I'm Veda with Palladio.
2: Yes, she is, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers.
0: And I'm Jim, the administrator of our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. He makes it sound so professional. And retired nurseryman, <laughs> Jim, what about your face group?
1: Your face My face group? That's face why i I mean, what
0: would you see this week? Uh, I mean, oh, we're, we're getting stuff. lots of good stuff. Uh, we have uh, talked about ambrosia beetles. We're right. seeing those already. And oh, no, that's trees. not a good thing. I've read about them. <laughs> I know. That's not a good thing. And... uh Still having a lot of talk about you know plants that were damaged, and a lot of people are seeing their clearas break at the ground. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. know, which is good news. Which is yeah, you know, they just got to grow to twelve feet again. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, over say, the which, next ten years, <laughs> yeah, which yeah, I should yeah. say, yeah. which could be good news.
2: But what about this ambrosia beetle? I mean, yeah, what's the
0: deal with that? Well, ambrosia beetles are tough little insects. Uh, you know, they they drill into the side of the trunk of a of a particularly fruit trees. And uh, you'll see a little frass come out. That, that's the kind of sawdust and it hangs out like little strings. Yeah, there. yeah, just
1: straight out from yeah. the tree.
0: Uh, but they they do a lot of damage inside the wood, which which interferes with uh, food going down to the roots and water going up to and nutrients going up to the leaves. So it's it's not a good thing, particularly if it get heavily infested.
2: Now that's something that we haven't had around here before. Uh, we we,
0: yeah. we have them, but where we yeah. see them the most is where they come in on fruit trees mm-hmm. out of Middle Tennessee. Um, yeah. That that's the worst ones that I've seen. Yeah.
1: The first time I saw that was on cherry trees right. that came in, and we were walking back looking at the inventory, and we saw all these look like strings, just lots just of popping them, out just of the trunk or oh, vertically <laughs> on the tree trunk. And um, at that time, you couldn't just snapshot it and Google it mm-hmm. research it and all of that. But it's so different that it was easy to uh, look up keywords and find it. But mm-hmm. it's just really bizarre. I mean, but
2: doesn't it seem like it's already hard enough for us to grow fruit oh, yeah. trees here in the Mid-South? And then, That's you know, one you, you could not pick a worse place. I mean, you could have, <laughs> yeah. You could yeah. not. I mean because of the insect damage come you know possibility now ambrosia beetles it
0: seems like they're on the rise and then all the fungal problems right I was watching uh, family plot Thursday night and they were showing the proper way to to spray a fruit tree and you know and and it's you start b- before the flowers you know, with mm-hmm. a fungicide, and then afterwards with an insecticide, and, and it's every seven to ten days until mm-hmm. you get fruit mm-hmm. that you can harvest if you want any. Otherwise, you're going to get plum cocoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, which the, is
1: not good to eat because it's an insect. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sounds nice. Yeah. You don't worry when you bite into an <laughs> apple and see a worm. So, you worry when you bite into an apple and see half a worm. Yeah, this, is <laughs> <true>. <laughs> this is true. This is true. So
2: when you, if you have fruit trees, you just know need to know going in that it's, it's a maintenance involved in fruit trees. Oh, gosh, yeah. And, and typically that's just spraying. And now a lot of the fruit tree sprays that you buy – have both the insecticide and the fungicide. But one thing I've noticed is a lot of them are going to like a neem pyrethrin spray now, you know, where it used to be Malathon, Methoxytor, captain, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It had everything you needed in that fruit tree spray to do what it's supposed to do on that fruit tree. Well, those products are getting hard to find.
1: Right, right. Well, you know, in um, areas that they're growing uh, citrus trees, you know, Florida, California, and on down the line, they're starting to introduce... <clears throat> uh biological methods to take mm-hmm. care of the um fissolid. did i say that right mm-hmm. i always have trouble Acilid. saying that yeah <laughs> taking care of that which
2: is a, which is what
1: it's a little mite mm-hmm. that drills into similar the
2: similar to an aphid yeah yeah
1: yeah and it's a really weird looking when it's got his head down in the leaf just munching but anyway, like well they're using and i don't this is more i think it's still in the test phases i guess you could say but they're enough to where they're wanting to to go ahead and go with it but you can't spray insecticide like even up to three months before they release it of course they're trying to release it at the proper time so Mm -hmm. it's not like the insects munching for three months and then it'll do its thing but then you can't really spray insecticides at all so you know that sounds scary on a whole crop, but if you're not having results, I guess you just try the next thing. But people do; they still love their fruit
2: trees. I mean, they mm-hmm. they I mean, there'll always be people growing fruit trees here in the mid south. And I guess you know if you've done it before, you
1: put the bon- bones in my coffee <laughs> while do. I wasn't looking. You two, no, but you do <laughs> okay. understand
2: that it it is definitely maintenance involved, and and before that, you've got to make sure a that you plant the fruit tree the right way. You know, Mm -hmm. all these fruit trees out there, including cherry trees, they got to have good drainage. And we say this on really anything that we ever plant, right? Mm -hmm. And they need a good sunny location. I've seen fruit trees, honest to God, I've seen fruit trees where they've been in a shaded environment in just hard-packed clay soil. I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. this is never going to make it. And it's surely never going to make fruit.
1: right. I know, but yeah. I guess we're lucky because the peach tree works here. Why does the peach tree work here, Jim? Because we have jo- Jones peach orchard. But it still
0: requires high maintenance. I mean, because mm-hmm. we have peach tree borers that are play havoc on pe- peach tree. Well, that's true. So um,
1: well, they got to work a number hard of years to
0: get ago, us our peaches. The surgeon who who replaced four of my hips uh, <laughs> yeah, bought some but land body. outside. But the had two. Yeah, bought, the, <laughs> bought some land outside the city, and, and he wanted to plant fruit trees and i tried to talk him out of it yeah <laughs> i did but he was dead set on it so he planted his fruit trees and then a couple of years later i thought to ask him about them you know but I, you I'm and curious. I, said, I said "How i your fruit trees he said, i gave up the deer and the bugs mm. and the fungus yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's not
1: like you envision your trees growing uh-huh. you get up in the morning mm-hmm. Get some fruit, make some jam. You know, it's not like and, that. And we're not telling people not
2: to plant fruit trees. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, we're just telling of people. Like we are. Well, I know, but <laughs> but we're telling That's people high mean. yeah, maintenance. Yeah, just make sure that you understand going in that it takes some spraying in both the insecticide and the fungicide because fruit trees in particular are so susceptible to both of them
1: well, when, when i first got into the industry the fruit trees the whole maintenance schedule was the hardest for me to keep in my head yeah because there's so <clears throat> many phases you had to go mm-hmm. through to you know like a lawn you put a pre-emergent fertilize three you know three or four times uh, and that's it but um plants you add some compost fertilize them every once in a while but with the fruit trees it was before bloom like you said or after it's blooming Mm -hmm. and you got to wait till this and multi-sprays and all so it is a a high maintenance thing yeah but now you know for the
2: people that do have them and Mm -hmm. they do take care of them and they do get that nice fruit off of them you know to them it's well worth it you know and it's Mm -hmm. kind of and to me it's kind of like planting maybe a hybrid tea rose You know, back in the day, you know, everybody had roses and then they came out with the shrub roses that are surely less maintenance. That's why you see so many of them. But back then, even now, people that plant roses, they already know that there's going to be some spraying involved, Mm -hmm. you know, because some plants are just susceptible to certain things. Roses are susceptible to black spot.
1: You know, when when customers come in and they want to do a landscape. I always ask them first, just how many hours do you spend in your yard?
2: They say none. You, know, you yeah. say, okay, we'll put yuccas out. Right.
1: There. Right. You know, or they're saying they want to spend more time in their yard. So you know, you start and work them into it. But if they're just out there for a little bit, then don't sell them the high maintenance things because you have to have more time in your yard. If you le if you legitimately only get five hours in your yard, then you need to pick plants that can. Go to that direction of only five hours
2: You mean like five hours in a week? Yeah, (laughs) yeah
1: Not in in a a day day. (laughs) Yeah, only five hours in a day (laughs) But I will
2: also say this I think gardening is easier now for us When I say gardening, I mean our landscapes Than it ever has been Two reasons One is because of the products that we have now Um, Whether it's insecticides, fungicides, whatever Uh, They're really good products And they're much safer also, by the way but also the plant material that we do plant. Uh, a lot of these new hybrids are so more, much more resistant, if you will, to insects yeah, and disease. We
1: do. We do have it good better. We will. We're going to go to a break and give us a call at 901-260-5926. And you can download the free KWAM app, themighty990.com. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you're with us this morning. We are live. People ask me if we're really here Same here. It's 6 a.m. Yeah. on Saturday morning, and we are. We say we're live. We're working v- on. Veda you know, doesn't more, get
0: live till about 8, 10 or so. Yeah,
1: right, which is so bizarre. <laughs> I thought I was a morning person, but sometimes I realize I'm just sitting But y'all are so interesting as well. I well, like
2: to listen to you, too. Well, I, I don't <laughs> guess I'm going to be cutting my grass today, right? Yeah, a little bit of rain so. last night, you know, but I'm Woo-hoo. okay with that too. You yeah. know, no, I don't mind
0: the on your rain. day
1: off yeah. not having to mow. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I, uh,
2: there
0: goes your five hours of yard work a week. Right? Yeah, it is, <laughs> yeah, it is. But it was good to get a little rain
2: last night. I mean, you know, at one point two weeks ago, it got kind of hot. You remember that? Mm-hmm. And it got kind of dry. We were like is yes, this it over? Did. Yeah. And and people were, you know, calling me up uh, you know, about irrigation and all this. I'm like, yeah, you know, I guess, you know, if it's dry, I don't care when it is. We need to do, mm-hmm. put some water out there, but uh we since then we've had some timely rains and it seems like it waits for the weekend to do it yeah. every time.
1: We never have uh time to slowly get into the practice of watering. It's either plenty of water mm-hmm. and we don't mm-hmm. even have to study it to all of a sudden, it's 10 days, and we're like, oh, i got to buy a hose. I get the yeah. hose out. Yeah. What just happened? i got to yeah. fix this
2: sprinkler. Oh, I can't fix this sprinkler, right. you know?
1: But yay, better weather. We've had, you know, a little calmer weather in terms of the temperature and the humidity. And and we know it's summertime, but this is nice. Yeah. I'll take it. And I've had two
2: people in the last three days bring me samples of houseplants that have burned margins around the leaves, okay? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, you know, usually when you see the margins of the leaf start to burn, I mean, it could be a fertilizer burn. So you ask them, you know, hey, have you fed this thing? And if you did, what you feed it with? And then you start talking about the watering. And nine times out of ten, it is a watering issue. Mm-hmm. And it can be from grossly overwatering, uh, which is not usually the case. It's usually from grossly underwatering.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's just, I'm like. Or it's going from grossly underwater they discover that it's been dry for a long time and then water water watering it and then oversaturating the soil so it's going from one extreme to the other on some place
2: yeah but and we've said this so many times it makes you think that you know it's watering sounds so simple you know if something needs watering just go water it right Mm -hmm. but it's not that simple and because it all depends on the plant it depends on the environment that it's in it depends on the soil that it's in it depends on the amount of drainage that you do or don't have all those things have a play in it but i had two people in the last three days bring me house plants that had burned margins and we went over everything and none of them were a chemical burn they wasn't a fertilizer burn they all had drainage it was just a matter of not watering the house plants
1: well the one thing that also probably didn't occur to if you have the indoor plants is literally when the days get longer and the, and they're, and it's warmer, your plants indoors even need a little yeah. more water than they did indoors in the winter. So maybe they're like on that kind of schedule, <laughs> but that's two people bringing it in. Yeah. And, and then some
2: people, of course, they'll take their houseplants from the inside to the outside and put them out there on racks and on a patio, a deck or whatever. And they've gone from an inside environment. All of a sudden, they're in an the outside environment in full sun. Yeah. You know, they and then you can like get us. burned that way also. And yeah. we talked about all those different scenarios. But both times, we figured out it was just, hey, I'm busy. You know, I didn't think about it. Uh, you know, it's not neglect. Well, it is neglect, but it's not on purpose, <laughs> right? Right. So they just haven't gone out there and really watered these plants. So we're bringing this up because if you've got house plants, at least once a week, typically speaking, yeah. You need to put some water on these things, you know. So at
1: least,
2: and just (laughs) depending on
1: what size pot, yeah, at least. But
2: everybody, they both people that brought them in thought it was a fungal problem, just because they were seeing that black and brown edge around the, you know, the edge of these leaves. Not at all. It's just a classic burn from being grossly
1: underwatered. So you know what else you can do with houseplants? Because a lot of people really now are, are thinking houseplants are indoor plants they're they're made for indoors that they can't actually live outdoors but in some areas that's what is their vines that's what is their trees like a ficus tree is truly a tree in its native environment pothos is a ground cover vine mm-hmm. like our english ivy mm-hmm. in native environments <clears throat> so if you you could use house plants for your outside shade containers for different colors and textures also you know so if you're Sometimes it's hard finding things for containers for almost all shade. Unless you go with the same four plants for shade. So look at houseplants and mix some of those in.
2: And Jim and Veda, what what is y'all's favorite? I shouldn't say. Yeah, I mean, what do y'all prefer? Do y'all like using a granulated fertilizer to feed them? Because now's the time of year to feed them. Or do you like using a water soluble? Or do you do both?
0: You know? In containers? Yes. I, I use a time released mm-hmm. okay, um, so that you're getting a constant feed basically every time you water. Um,
2: kind of like an Osmocote-type right. product, yeah.
0: Fertilizers that come in a box like Azalea food and yeah. that sort of thing should not be used in containers. Mm-hmm. They're, they're developed for, well, for outdoor use. Yeah, you, you will get some chlorine salt buildup in there. And that gives you the kind of damage that you were talking yeah. about a minute ago. A, a yeah. potential burn. It accumulates in the margins, and the in the edges, in the tips of leaves. So you get some burn there. Um, so I use the time released. Uh, in fact, I use the um, the AgriForm tablets, mm-hmm. the twenty ten five formula, and just you know shove them shove them about midway through the thing. And depending on the pot, you know if it's a, an eighteen inch pot, I'll put two or three in there, mm-hmm. and just shove them, shove them down in the soil and cover them mm-hmm. up. And is he doing it because that's the that's the right thing to use, or is that the easy way well, to do a it?
1: That's good, a good product, I too. think and, both. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, but,
0: I think you can buy Osmocoat cheaper than you yeah. can the agriforms, but the agriforms will last about two years. Uh, so you get good, slow-release feeding the entire time. Mm-hmm. I use them for my water plants. I buy them in cases of a 1,000. Uh, and you're already using them for your aquatic plants yeah anyway. I use them in aquatic plants I use them for perennials um, you know just anything in the ground just pluck that yeah. thing down in yeah. there and off you go right. and I guess if you're using a liquid or a water soluble plant food which is perfectly fine mm-hmm. you just have to use it more often yeah and when you're looking at big shrubs outside the the little tablets are really not the best thing to use because when you if you've got a, a huge plant, You got a lot of roots you need to cover. Right. When you put that fertilizer tablet down in there, as the water hits it, you get a a pyramid distribution as the water expands going down. But you get no sideways movement. Mm -hmm. So it's really best to do a granular fertilizer that's Mm -hmm. applied to the surface all over the root zone.
1: Exactly. I always wondered, you know, I thought, why are we only applying this to one side? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's like
0: the the Job's tree spikes. They're convenient. They're cool, but they're really not the best way to fertilize a tree. You really want to cover the entire root zone with your fertilizer. Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. but when you're talking about a container or very small pot plants Mm -hmm. like perennials, the The time release stuff is is really quite, as you said, easy. But I yeah. think it's also the best way to go. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah. I I use earthworm castings. I sprinkle that on the soil, and then one of the Fox Farm products. I kind of go between them, like one that. Well, there's micro- grow big yeah. tiger bloom. Yeah, the uh, microbes. Big yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's um, have a, have a nice little blue bag of worm castings on a cart, and we just roll around to the house plants and sprinkle a little bit in there so the ones that especially the ones that we're gonna keep and have them looking pretty in the showroom all the time now, do you ever we take have them to keep up with that yeah
2: and do you ever take them and wash mm-hmm. them down they to get to just get to dust off of the foliage yeah
1: the ones that we keep in there uh, like right now we took them all outside for a while letting them just reacclimate. To outside, you know, give them, even though it looks kind of bare inside for the moment. But, yeah, they need to go outside. If I see have one that's stressed, I'll put it in the greenhouse so it'll flush back out. But if you have stressed houseplants and you take them outside, uh, like you said, keep them in the sun. But they'll flush out and start looking really good. And then you have to slowly acclimate them back inside. And then they're going to drop a few leaves because they came inside. They will. They will. Yeah. Yeah. But I the fertilization part I like, I use... Because there's so many things, the worm castings and the fox farm liquid. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you you know are having a somewhat of an
2: insect problem on your houseplants, uh, there's two things you can do, and I like sometimes even using both. There's the granulated systemic insecticide that you can sprinkle on the soil and water it in, and you'll kill the insects that are on your houseplants from the inside out. It's a it's an easy product to use and it's great. But also you can use a spray, something like a neem oil or a permethrin, something like that. I was talking to a lady the other day that had some mealybugs bugs. And we all know how hard mealybugs bugs are to kill. And this was on like a dumb cane, one of her houseplants. And I showed her both products. Mm-hmm. I said, this is a spray that you spray directly onto the tissue. This is the granulated product that you put in the soil and water in. I said, in your case, trying to get rid of mealybugs, bugs, I would do both. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's... it's there again, it's pretty easy to get rid of insects. You just got to get out there and do it. But then I told her also, you know, why do you have insects? Mm. You know, usually you have insects because you have a weakened plant. Mm-hmm. Why is the plant weakened? Well, if it's in the it's wrong inside. spot. <laughs> exactly, Veda. So you kind of go over those scenarios yeah. also. So you want to keep these things as healthy as you possibly can, doing the watering, the feeding that like we're talking about. And then, of course, make sure you get rid of any insects that you might have on there.
1: Yep. And then think of them as outdoor container plants also. You could mix them. You can. You can put like a pothos ivy. And there's so many pothos ivies now that have all kinds of different textures. uh, Not textures, but different types of coloration to them. Yeah. And so that can be your your trailer. And then your filler Mm. could be like. What would I use for a filler with house plants? Well, oh, you could use so, little
2: succulents or anything yeah, in there, you know? That,
1: and then then your tall plant, like on a pole. Like we've got the, man, we've got some really cool sword ferns. And they look like, not fir- ferns, but there is a sword fern, a silver sword plant. And it's long, thin leaves. And it can either hang out of a hanging basket or this is trailing up on a pole. And it doesn't care. It just loves whatever you do. So you could have that as the centerpiece in your Outdoor container. Put some impatience Ooh, for the yeah. second layer, and then your ivy to trail over. Uh, you know, right. if you're tired of seeing English ivy and doing the same thing over and over every year, try something
2: different. You see, mix it up a little bit.
1: Yeah, incorporate those house plants and those
2: planters also. I
1: said, try something different. Something, not something. It is a word. Something. All right, y'all. We'll be right back. You're listening to KWM 990 AM News Talk Radio. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You're listening to us on KWAM. You can call us 901-260-5926. You can also post questions on Facebook Live.
2: Yeah, the Mighty 990 Facebook page, like Audrey Fielding did, and said, question, I planted a tropical hibiscus in a pot, of course, like most of us do. Notice yesterday, top roots are exposed. Should I cover the roots? Uh, Audrey, thank you for that question, buddy. Uh, Yeah, yeah, you know, you want to get out there with a little potting soil and, and just... Cover the top part of that. Uh, you you know, it's, it's okay to have some roots exposed. I mean, all roots need oxygen, no doubt, but you don't want them drying out either. So just a quarter inch of soil or earthworm castings, uh, anything like that to cover those roots back up uh, is exactly what you should do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we've always talked about, in Jim especially, Invader U2, how, you know, uh, roots do need oxygen. They got to have it. You know, and that's yeah. why if they're sitting in very heavy clay soil, a very wet soil. They don't get that. Yeah.
1: And then if they're in soil that has air pockets, they're getting too much well, air my, or oxygen and then drying the roots out that way. And that's my point.
2: You know, yeah. it's it, in theory, you think, OK, I've got a little a top part of my root ball exposed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these roots are definitely going to get oxygen. Well, yeah, but you well, don't want like those things the, drying out.
1: Yeah, so with it exposed in that, that way it's not too much, you know, oxygen. It's all good. But you know, like uh say in containers when there's air pockets and, and they never settle, then you're getting like too much air to a root system or something's you drive burrow- those root tips. Yeah, out. or something's burrowing. In, in a root ball, you know, that can kill it too, disturbing the roots.
2: So that's why you actually, when you plant a shrub or a tree, you know, the first thing you do is water the planting in because you want that soil to settle mm-hmm. down and get rid of all those air pockets. Yeah. Uh, also think about the smart pot, uh, pots that people buy now. The smart pot is that fabric pot mm-hmm. that a lot of people are planting into. You put your soil in there, you plant whatever you put in there, Right. Well, it also works with oxygen. And what I mean by that, when the roots are growing in these smart pots, uh, like any other root system, they start growing out towards the side of the pot. And we've all seen plants growing in, say, a plastic pot. You pull the plant out and the roots are just running around and around and around the side of that pot, right? Well, with the smart pot, when the roots are growing out, they get almost to the side of the pot the air, remember I said this last year, the air will air prune those roots, okay? So the roots never really make it to the side of the pot because the air's out there, the oxygen's out there, and it makes the roots stop growing at that point and start to branch out. Mm -hmm. So you get a great fibrous root system inside these smart pots, but you don't necessarily get that root just running around and around Mm -hmm. and around on the inside of this pot because it's been what they call air pruned you know and the same thing with this hibiscus that audrey's talking about you don't want that much air on the top of the root system that's why you want to go mm-hmm. in there and barely cover that up yeah you know jim any what thoughts do you
1: think?
0: the fabric part yeah yeah i think they're ugly
1: i'd well outside of that i do too <laughs> i agree
0: <laughs> okay i know beyond but that you know it looks like, like work, they work good. they're lightweight i think so yeah you know but and we They look and,
1: like bags of black trash bags sitting yeah, around. Yeah. Exactly.
2: <laughs> but but instead of being made out of plastic, they're made out of this fabric. Yeah. And I'm telling you they if you read about them, uh the air pruning is going on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty neat. Yeah. You know, now would I put a nice beautiful looking houseplant in a fabric pot, a smart pot?
1: No. Right. But would I
2: put some to, tomatoes and stuff in there, absolutely I would.
1: Maybe so, yeah. Because you, it would defeat the purpose, I guess, if you plant it in the smart pot and then put the smart pot in a pretty container. No, yeah, because then you don't have the airflow again. Mm. Yeah, I know. I've seen those, and I, I guess I'm kind of with you. The only, time, I don't know if I'd use them at all. I'd use them because it's all about <laughs> the look to me. I want the pot to be nice, like the plant. But I'm talking about when I'm, about, when,
2: I'm when I'm planting some vegetables out there—squash, mm. peppers, tomatoes, yeah. whatever. I don't care what that pot looks like. <laughs> you know, as long as the vegetables that I'm planting produce the way I right. want them to produce, I'm perfectly fine. You know?
1: Yeah, I think <clears> if I had room <throat> out, but on a patio, I like it just to look pretty. <laughs> God,
3: see, Jim. Somebody's <laughs> I guess my goal, to her.
1: my goal, is wrong there. If I'm growing fruit or vegetables like you're saying that should be my whole goal is big delicious vegetables okay
2: and you're making me think about driving down a country road and Mm -hmm. we've talked about this and you see the old tractor tire laying there that's been painted pure white Mm -hmm. okay yeah and and soil has been thrown into the center of this and you've got your raised bed and you've got these cannas Cannas, right right that all of them have canna worms (laughs) so you're telling me that that's a good
1: look right no can't agree with that one either
2: so it was kind
1: of cool when it very first started you Uh, know but how many
2: times have we seen and we still Mm -hmm. see that you drive through some of these rural areas oh those tractor towers are not going to waste i promise you here
1: honey look what i got yeah i
2: painted it white and i've got 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 all that soil in there i got your raised bed bed, right there (laughs) but hey whatever works though right and that's what you know i could
0: care less i don't care what it is and I am going to deliver a tractor tire to Kennesaw. No, oh, well, but Jim, might. i to we'll put I'm, it out in the front yard. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. you should cut it
1: a li- and put it around the tree.
2: You're reading yeah. my yeah. mind. You're reading yeah. my mind. I don't probably mind these being maybe in someone's backyard, mm-hmm. but every time I see one, of course, it's out there in the front yard, and to I me, have, that's a problem. Yeah,
1: we can, but you know, really, anything can hold a plant as long as it has a drainage. Yeah. <laughs> anything can. Now, people are starting just to call things vessels. You know, instead of a pot, they'll say, "I need a vessel to hold my plant." And I'm like, "What?"
0: Yeah. And
1: so when they say that, then you then that means you can a, sell them
0: a very expensive pot.
1: Exactly, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes, Here's yes, exactly. <laughs> huh. Or a wooden bowl with a hole in the bottom. Yeah. All, all
0: the all the pots, and I've got fourteen or fifteen containers. Big containers are plastic, and then I've got some ceramic ones that are colorful mm-hmm. around, you know, on the on the patio around the pool. So it's um, and these are ceramic gem, yeah, or they? I, I have yeah. some. I have some ceramic ones, yes. Um, but I, I don't think I want a fabric pot mm-hmm. out there for. As you said, for aesthetic reasons. No, no, uh, no, and,
2: and people are usually using those for to growing vegetables and stuff. Hey, in
1: but yeah. weren't they also going to start evolving to that at the growers? Oh yeah, like like getting shrubs and trees. In well, those? they
0: used to have grow bags years ago, mm. and they didn't catch on. Yeah, uh, the growers mm. couldn't sell them. Um, they had the the ones also that were wrapped in plastic and had all the the soil and everything mm-hmm. in there, um, and they were great for growers, but they well, people just wouldn't buy the yeah. thing yeah
2: they didn't it was it was when they get let the grower they had to go to garden centers that's right and they just in the display they just didn't look yeah, good right. you know
1: well also it seems like they would start to lean yeah that was the real them. issue yeah
0: when we tried to display them you know mm. we didn't do very many of them back and this was in <clears throat> mid-70s but they were um they were just they could not give them away
1: hardly you know as talking about it like this it does seem that we're giving up some beneficial things for aesthetic reasons oh absolutely (laughs) right right it is kind of funny but we can you know nowadays we can
2: but i do i mean overall though and and i'll get off this i do like the the way these smart pots work uh, which yeah, is nothing that is more very ingenious. than, a, than yeah. a fabric pot. And like I said, you can buy them now instead of just a little 3-gallon, 5-gallon, 10-gallon round fabric pot. You can also buy raised bed-smart pots. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are like yeah. big troughs that you buy and put your soil in there, and you immediately overnight have your raised bed ready to go but and you, go in there and just plant your... there again. Typically, you see your vegetables in there.
1: But I can also see if you... Gosh, I can analyze something to death. You, sometimes well, okay, here she goes. you can Go also ahead. see the fact that if you wanted to garden, but you couldn't get the pots to the location you need it to be. Yeah, you know, then then this little cloth thing, you just unfold it, and I then it full but of if soil. you couldn't get the containers there, you couldn't get the soil there either. Well,
2: well let me, <laughs> okay. We well, no, let me say this: a lot of times you can't, or you don't have space in the in the lawn or wherever to build a raised bed. Yeah. You know, that's where you see a lot of people growing their vegetables, in raised beds. Well, in this case, if you've got just a flat surface, a, a, a back patio, mm-hmm. you can set this thing on the patio, put your soil in there, and you're in business. Right. It was mighty convenient to some people, that, and a lot of people that don't have the mm-hmm. room.
1: Yeah, we Maybe, grow. In your
2: case, if you're living in a high-rise, a condo, an apartment, whatever, and you've got a balcony out there, right, right. you can put this thing on a balcony yeah, and grow your vegetables. What's the dimensions of it? Do you know? Jim, uh, I wish you hadn't asked me that. Uh, there's a couple that we carry. Uh, I think one is like a maybe an 8 cubic feet or 12 cubic feet. Um, I'll, I'll get them for you. But, I
1: mean, yeah, it's pretty neat, you know? All right, well, let's go to a break, and we'll go to um, talking about other things as well. Call us at 901-260-5926. <coughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. Call us at 901 260 5926 or post questions on Facebook Live that you can pull up right now. Just yep. on your Facebook search for mighty990.com yep. and you'll find
2: it. Mighty990 Facebook page. And uh, Jan Childers is watching and Lori Payne is watching this morning. So thank you to both of y'all. Uh, and thank you to Audrey that sent us a question a while ago about the hibiscus. And Jim, you're saying on your. Uh, Facebook page, mm-hmm. uh, Mid South Gardening Zone 6789. 789. 68678. 678. <laughs> we're messing oh, you up now. Dude, I'm, I'm just as bad as Beta with that. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> uh, y'all, I saw a picture. You were saying there was a picture of a, someone sent a picture in of a snake. Yes.
0: And yes. this thing was. It's plain-bellied water snake, and I knew that, you know.
2: But this thing looks like a boa yeah. constrictor. But huge. I'm not
0: a snake expert, so I told her to put it on the Tennessee snake identification page, which apparently she did because she sent another post that said a herpetologist had identified it as a plain-bellied water snake.
2: And so. great to have around the house um, well, around the yard. around will, the yard. They
0: will eat mice and that sort of thing, but they also tell you that there's water somewhere that they're living mm. around. Uh, mm. And they they're not good for koi ponds uh, or, or you know goldfish ponds because they will snatch them out of there. I'll be darned. So um, you know, but uh, I you know just leave them alone, make them go away. You know, yeah. Uh, snake snakes are good. We only have I think three uh, poisonous snakes in, well, the, in this area: the water monitor, the the, the, the the copperhead, the, and okay. and then
2: the uh, the, the, the rattlesnake. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, uh, and the reason I'm saying this is. Not every snake is bad, and most snakes are... Well, they're not, none of them are bad. Yeah, well, I know, some but... Some of them are poisonous. Exactly, and but, but the majority of the snakes that we ever come or encounter with around here, especially at our, in our landscape, mm-hmm. are going to be a non-poisonous snake, for the mm-hmm. most part. And that doesn't mean all of them. Uh, but it, it brings me back to the point where my wife and my daughter, okay, I, I don't have any snakes around the house, but I've got some of these... Pretty big lizards mm-hmm. that you see. I mean, they're they're long, they're they're big. And my wife and my daughter were walking up my driveway. I was at work, and they thought they spotted a snake in the front bed of the house. Okay. Turns out I think it was a, a lizard that they actually saw. But in their mind it was a snake. So they each go get a golf club. Like they're gonna do something, okay? <laughs> And they start beating the shrubs that are in front of the house, especially some dwarf yopon hollies. They're just beating the stew out of them. Don't know why. I still hadn't figured that one out. <laughs> I get home from work that day, and I'm walking up my driveway. I've noticed it looks like somebody beat my shrubs with a golf club. Yeah. <laughs> I go inside, and honest to, honest to God, uh, true story, I was like, what happened to the shrubs out front? And they're like, Dad, there, there's a snake in the front bed. And I'm like, well, what what does beating the, the shrubs with the golf clubs mm-hmm. do? And, and they said, well, we were trying to get the snake, you know? And honestly, if the snake had popped its little head out, mm-hmm. they would have taken off running anyway. Yeah. But my whole point is I'm trying to make is people are terrified of snakes. I don't care mm-hmm. what kind of snake it is. They're terrified of them to the point where we sell the snake that you blow up. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you sit it out there in your landscape, put it in your vegetable garden, you put it anywhere you want, and you're trying to keep birds and squirrels away. Do you know how many of those come back into us where the yard man had gone out there with the hoe and the shovel and, and cut just head off. cut the head off? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and Or dropped like, a concrete block on them. <laughs> Jim,
2: <laughs> so our, our whole point is I get it. You yeah. know, if you kind of like spiders, there's only a couple of spiders around here mm-hmm. that can really do some harm to you. Most of them are. Yeah, just completely harmless but spiders and snakes will always be in that category to where if you see one the first thing you want to do is kill the thing
1: i know and that's that's i mean what are they scared a friendly snake's gonna do i mean just learn the three snakes that are bad and then you see a snake and it doesn't look like the three bad snakes then you just let it go. Just That's let right. it do its thing. They're not gonna chase Why you. Why are you screaming? The, only, <laughs> Why are the you? only snake I've ever
0: seen being aggressive, uh, is a racer. You know, if yeah. you're close blue to racers, yeah. Particularly where they've nested, you'll uh, mm. they will mm. chase you. Yeah, well yeah. <laughs> on but top it, of your car in <laughs> my case.
2: <laughs> but it's like beta said, I mean, as long as you know what they look like. If you know what a copperhead looks like, or a water motskin looks like, or a rattlesnake.
0: You know the other one's gonna pass. Yeah, right. it, but some of that can be misleading too because there's some there's some water snakes that look remarkably like copperheads. Yeah, you know. Um, so especially if you're gonna look
1: fast. Yeah, the thing is yeah. just,
0: just move away from them. They're not mm-hmm. you know. Or you hear a lot of tales about water moccasins being aggressive, and the people who are around these say there's no truth to that. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know they're just they're not aggressive unless you step on them. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So So um,
2: but. But I guess the other point I was going to make is there are, like everything else, there are some snake repellents that are on the market that you can buy. I was talking to my good friend Jack Gilbert last year. He had uh, some snakes in an ivy bed, and he didn't mind the snakes being out there, but one of the snakes bit his dog, okay? And, of course, the dog had to go to the vet, so he knew that it was a toxic or poisonous snake amongst his ivy bed. Uh, so he put down some snake repellents between his house, where he usually is, and the ivy bed. Uh, and he hasn't seen any since then. That doesn't mean that they're still not out there. This doesn't mean they're not even still in the ivy bed. But it made him feel a lot better putting this repellent down between his house and and the bed where he saw these snakes. Um, you know, so <laughs> it seems like there's a repellent out there for for every ill, right? Yeah. Including snakes.
1: And and the thing about repellents is is just consistency. You have to keep putting them out. Just remember that. Um, I see where people are concerned because critters keep coming back, but they used a repellent. But they only used it once. Yeah. So you you do have to reapply. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing. Yeah.
2: But I mean, if you get on your Jim on that Facebook page and see this snake, you know, I can understand why if someone saw that they're running for the hills or they're going to grab the shotgun. I, I get it. I, honestly, I do. It looks like a very mean, menacing snake. Just remember, in Tennessee, it's a,
0: illegal to kill any of them. Paring
2: well, if, if, only if people know about it.
1: <laughs> Don't say that out loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jim's looking at me like, is there something? <laughs> I?
2: So, but I get, the whole point is, guys, not all snakes are bad. In fact, most snakes are doing us really a big time favor. That's
0: one of the reasons we have such a issue now with voles uh they used to be kept under control by snakes uh, mm-hmm. and now we virtually eliminated snakes in the mm-hmm. suburban environment so yeah yeah nothing to keep them in check and, and i talked to
2: a good friend of mine miss Jean house you know every week and she said by far the best mole and vole especially vole control hands down is go get a cat And I'm like I agree with what you're saying I truly do Especially if it's A mean old outdoor cat I mean they'll catch Every vole that you have In your yard But not everybody Wants a cat Right And she said Well it's worth it You know Whether you want one or not It's worth to have one Around the house some
1: cats Will bring them to you Oh see They're they're (laughs) great
2: hunters My
0: my neighbors had three cats Mm -hmm. And that pretty much Kept them under control Chipmunks
2: Mm -hmm. Moles Voles You didn't have all that stuff Going on around the house
1: Yeah I see. That's what we're talking about, the balance of nature, the balance of your ecosystem or balancing in your yard, doing different plants and things like that to create to create a balance so you don't have to uh, worry so much about one thing getting out of control.
2: Yeah, but I, I tell you what, I, I've said this a thousand times over. I'd rather have 10 moles than 10 voles Mm -hmm. you know the moles are out there just digging up your yard looking for grubs and worms to eat that's all they're doing and they're tearing up your yard i get that but those dang voles man they're starting to gnaw the roots off of everything and if you've got hostas even roses camellias i've seen it happen on so many different hard rooted or hard wood Mm -hmm. type shrubs they'll eat the roots right off of them and I don't know why some years they do it, gym and some years they don't. Um, but they can be highly destructive. And you know how we always say that a hosta is caviar to a slug or a snail. Well, hosta is a caviar to a vole also. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and a customer would come in every year, she'd buy these beautiful hostas, and in her mind, they would always go for the most expensive ones.
0: <laughs> well, I've said that for years. Start uh-huh. at the top of your price list, and then work straight down. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So if you've got voles, we'll tell you at some point, maybe in the next hour, how to potentially, other than getting a cat, right, how to potentially get rid of some of these voles that are out there just wreaking havoc on our landscape. Well,
1: you know, you can't ever, ever win. But you can try to get a step ahead. But now they're making ways for cats or laws that cats can't be out of your yard or your house. Good plan. That's... (laughs) Don't uh, know how you'd enforce it. I know. Let's uh, let's go to a break. We'll be right back.
0: The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder.
1: Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to the second hour. You're listening to Veda, Kenneth, and Jim on KWM Radio 990 AM News Talk. You can find me at Palladio Gardens during the week. Yeah, and what's going on
2: at Palladio's this week, Miss Veda? Man,
1: we have our flower tunnel all completed. Yeah, that's what it looks like—a flower tunnel. That's and what course, we're calling it now. So, uh, what's going on? The is The tunnel. flowers are blooming like like crazy. They're so yeah. pretty and. I know, like I drive by, I can see Dan West, and, and it looks like everything's pouring out in the street. Yeah. It's becoming perennial season. It is. You know, they're starting to look really good and full of blooms, and that's how you want to get them. Yeah, and, and <laughs> That's you're how right. we want to get them, even though we should be planting them without blooms. Exactly. But and I want to get them with blooms. Same thing with the annuals. You know, we'll go buy the ones
2: with the blooms, but you're right, Vade. Right? I mean, people are still planting uh, everything, the annuals, the perennials, the trees and shrubs, uh, and there's still great selections. I mean, we're still in the... It's spring, of spring yeah.
1: you know? Yeah, it's still spring. I mean, some people haven't even really started just because we were cool and then we it were went. really wet. And yeah. then all of a sudden we were hot and thinking, I'm not even going to do anything. That's, you know, it got so hot. Mm. I was like, oh my gosh, why did I order that truck of flowers? Yeah. Why did, uh, mate? And then it cooled off and I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, why didn't I order two trucks <laughs> of flowers? <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> the weather. And, but and of you have to look next, at the calendar, The next 10 you know? days,
2: you know, they look great here in the Mid-South. But you're right. You'll find Vade at Palladio's.
0: You'll find me at Dan West Garden Center's on Popper.
1: And you'll
2: find my good friend over here, Mr. I'm Jim.
0: I'm mostly in the garden this week, yeah. you yeah. know, instead of uh, in the chair. But right. so. so you've got but things can, to do, Mr. Jim. <laughs> I yeah. do. I've got a lot of stuff still yeah. to plant. We divided banana trees. Uh, the hardy uh, the the, bananas. Yeah. The freeze killed all of the mother plants. No, but they put up a bazillion little ones. I'll be darned. So, so that's we, good. Yeah, it is good, but they're so <clears> thick <throat> that we had to thin some of them out.
2: And what do you do? Just get a trowel, a little shovel, I, I take or a
0: sharpshooter, and just go through there and get between the mother plant and and uh, the baby and shear it off. And then you know, and it'll usually come with a few roots on it. Uh, and then we just mud them in <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and let it start again. And I wonder why and I put some. I bought some really huge pots at one of the warehouse stores, and um, I put half a dozen bananas in it so that Be I could move it and use yeah. it for shade around the, the lounge chairs and that sort of thing. That's pretty cool. And and I wonder why it killed
2: the the original mother plant and not the little bubblets, because mm-hmm. it just held so much water
0: and probably rotted. Well, um, you know, the the freeze really did uh, <clears throat> right. the big ones in. We cut them halfway down, uh, and then, of course— Right after that, we got that flash freeze, which yeah knocked them off at the ground. So, but the roots were still alive.
2: And Jim, do you ever feed the? And the reason I'm asking you this question is I've got a hardy banana in the corner of my side yard. It's been there. I, somebody gave it to my wife, one of her friends that she works with, and it's been there for years. And it and you're right. There, I've seen more banana tree sprouts coming up in the little bed that I created than i ever have Mm -hmm. uh and i'm i was like you i'm thinking i wonder if i need to
0: go in there and thin some of these out of there i don't guess i have to but Mm -hmm. well these got so thick that uh, on what it's between the fence and the pool and it's you know it's not very wide so you know they're intruding into your pathway. You've oh, got okay. Underneath I gotcha. Okay. Other than that, you would have been fine with it. Yeah. And, and plus, by tre- thinning them out, I thinned out the ones that were closest to the walk, and mm-hmm. that allowed me to plant seasonal color up underneath it. I've got a, a croton. <laughs> I've got a yellow hibiscus. that's just been spectacular. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got, right now, I've got hardy amaryllis coming up and in bloom. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it gave me a gave me a place to put some small stuff in front of it. So you're you're kind of like my mom you you dig
2: things up to make room to plant other things absolutely
1: exactly. absolutely <laughs> absolutely. Mm-hmm. I like to rearrange things all the time. I rearrange furniture in my house all the time. I rearrange um everything. and so I get in the yard a lot of times and want to rearrange, oh, yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. then it's like, do you really need to? <laughs> And then I'm thinking, oh, wow, look, those are planted too far apart. Let's plant something (laughs) else in there. There's two feet between that. Let me dig it up, scoot it over a little bit more so I can make room to plant. So, yeah, I'm with you. That's a
2: horrible phobia to have.
1: Floraholic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's go to Jess calling from Germantown. Good morning, Jess. You're in the Mid-South Garden.
2: How are y'all doing this morning? Hey, Jess, doing great, buddy. Good. Hey, i
4: trimmed my uh, arborvitae yesterday just re- to reshape them, get them a little lower and a little narrower. And, of course, they're looking a little rugged right now. What's the best thing to use to help them flush back out?
2: Well, you can look at it one or two different ways. Uh, any good non-burning all-purpose plant food... Is great, whether it's Plant Tone, whether it's the Grower Special, which is the 1266, whether it's the Start and Grow Jess, which is a 19612. All I mean is just any non-burning, slow-release, long-lasting fertilizer. Now, like we were talking about in the first hour, you can still go out there and use a liquid plant food, like the Fox Farm Grow Big, that you mix with water and pour it on the root system. And like we were saying, the beauty of a water-soluble plant food, Jess, is it works really fast. The drawback is it just doesn't last that long, so you got to use it like every two weeks.
1: When you right. pruned it, did did you? Is there green still on it after you pruned it? Yeah,
4: there is some green, but there's some brown showing through as well.
2: Yeah, and if it was mine, I honestly, if I really wanted to mm-hmm. encourage new growth, Jess, I would do both. I would get a non-burning okay. fertilizer, just sprinkle that around the root ball down there, the root zone, if you will, and I'm telling you, I would come back and use a water-soluble plant food, and I would do it once a week for about three weeks. Really okay. get this thing, try to encourage as much new growth as you possibly can.
4: Okay. Uh, how about milorganite?
2: Perfect. Perfect okay. as, the, as the long-lasting granulated fertilizer but even if I use the Milorganite, I'm still going to come back and use a water soluble once a week for three or four weeks.
4: Yeah, and you mentioned a fox farm.
1: Is that right? Yeah,
2: I mean, there's yeah. a product called Grow Big uh, that you mix with water. You can put it on
1: anything oh, in the do world. Do that micro brew also.
2: Any of those are fine. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
2: Okay. Micro
1: brew is is for really stressed out plants, and and it just encourages more microorganisms and all that to start doing its thing to process. For And I know this is
2: going to sound like a lot. I agree, Veda. Mm -hmm. There's a product called Garrett Juice. Mm -hmm. There's Microbrew. There's even a product, Jess, called Comeback Formula that you can mix Mm -hmm. and pour on the root ball of a plant. Any of those products are perfectly fine to use, but I would do both, quite honestly.
4: Okay. Sounds good. Well, I'll I'll
2: be at Dan West uh, shortly. All right, Jess. Thank you, buddy. (laughs) All right.
1: Thanks for the call. Uh, yeah, you know, plants and things that are stressed out, I mean, you do have to be careful. You do need to use more slower-release fertilizers or soil-building fertilizers, too. I mean, if you're sick in bed and don't feel good and somebody goes, hey, drink some of this espresso, Yeah, and it'll make you feel uh, like all kinds of energy, and then you can get up and run around but then you'll get sick again later, <laughs> you know, and so that's like with some like kind of like the urea. Oh, your, your stuff's stressing out. Let me just force you to grow. But then later you might have issues. So it's a balance, but don't try to shock it to, into green.
2: Yeah, and, and Jess was talking about arbovitas in general. Uh, you know, we did see some some burn on some arbovitas. Uh, I think for the most part, the providers are going to be okay uh, after, you know, this freeze. Yeah, because there was few. Yeah, the, few, the, you yeah. know, the freeze that we had. Um, but I'm with Jess. I mean, for, for shrubs or any plant that you're having a problem with, let's say in his case, he went in there and cleaned it up, cut it back, pruned it out, all the dead stuff. But now he's wanting to stimulate growth. And the best way to stimulate growth, of course, is by feeding the plant. And then you can feed the plant either one or two ways. Either something that's granulated or something that's mm-hmm. water soluble. Right. In this case I like doing both.
1: Yeah, I the Arbivitis that I saw that were stressed after this year were some that had pre existing conditions. A lot of them did. Yeah. Or just a poor planting issue. Or, you know, sometimes something just comes through in your environment and does some damage and then moves on. So um yeah all that stuff we recommended it sounds like a lot but if you get to recover something you'll have to use a lot to get it to recover and then after that happens you can slowly you know come off of it so let's go to another break and we'd love to hear your questions and you can call them at 901 you can call us yeah (laughs)
3: 901-260-5926
1: Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us today. 901-260-5926. Yep,
2: and you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text there anytime you want. And if you want to listen to us later on, mm-hmm. Mighty 990, streaming live all the time, KWMradio.com. you can listen to the podcast anytime you want. And let me ask you all a question. We were talking about arborvitaes a while ago, and we all know that there are a lot of different varieties of arborvitaes, right? Emerald green, Emerald giant, Holstrom, uh, North Pole, on and on and on. What is, are there any truly any do's and don'ts about either planting or growing arborvitaes?
0: Well, the only thing I think you really have to watch, of course, if particularly if they get the least dry, they are prone to spider mites and they're also prone to bagworms. Mm. Uh, so you because need, jim i get bagworms from time to time yeah yes. you you've got to be pay attention for those because if they strip the foliage off past where there's green uh most arborvities won't resprout mm. on mm. on two-year-old or older wood so you have to Isn't that re- something yeah you have is. to really pay attention to that but there's a there's a line of um uh, green giants not far from my house they've got i don't know 10 or 15 i guess in a row and they get bigger and taller yeah. than' emmer green yeah they're huge but The south side is solid brown. Really? The north side is solid green. All right. So, what's the deal there? That's from sunburn during the wintertime. Okay. Now, that should green up. This year, it seems to be a little lower, a little slower than normal. Yeah. Uh, But that should green up. But, arborvitis, many of them, if they get. Particularly if they're dry the summer before, mm. you'll see some browning, winter browning, uh, and it, usually it's nothing to be concerned about. But uh, you do want, to, like I say, pay attention for spider mites because they can kind of mimic the same damage. And the freaking and the bagworm. So and you're bagworm. saying, and so they need good drainage. You know, so you don't want to keep them sloppy, wet. You don't, but arborvitaes are not drought plants. Mm-hmm. They're, they're really not very drought tolerant. So you've got to, in July and August, pick up your watering. Okay. If you don't, you're going to get them bronzed.
1: Yeah, so, so true. And that's what I was wondering about the, the caller previously. That's why I was asking, and Jim you know, alluded on it, was, was there any green left on the arborvitae? Because if it was cut down to brown... I'm not sure it would actually recover. It may not. I mean, that's
0: mm-hmm. just going it, to – it's going to depend some on, on the variety. Um, but you just going to have to wait and see if it'll re-sprout on mm-hmm. – if you've cut past what was green. Um, right. it, it It's just going to have to be a wait and I mean, see. And, and I love arbovitis,
2: but yeah. you hear so many people say that, you know, they're problematic, they're hard to grow um, – you know, but but that's
1: yeah, not always really, surprised, yeah. you know, that, that people would say that because they're really easy. They are, they're, that's my point. I guess not, they think of know, them as drought tolerant.
0: Same way with junipers, we consider those very easy. But mm-hmm. the vast majority of junipers will not re sprout on two year or older wood yeah. if mm-hmm. you cut them off. Uh, a few will. I mean, I've seen some Fitzer junipers cut down to nothing but wood mm-hmm. and they still yeah. recover over time. Uh, Hollywood juniper is one of the best ones for recovering if you need to prune it. I love that. We, we use that one a lot in bonsai because you can cut, you can take a 10 footer and reduce it down to two and a half feet. And it's going to, and to it's re-sprout. going to resprout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's a good one, but <laughs> a lot of the junipers, you know, won't do that. So it's just, you are just going to have to wait and see how it does. But it seems to me
2: that, you know, let's say 20, 25 years ago, we did see people planting more. Juniper than we do than we do now. Yeah. It seems like mm-hmm. people are planting more uh, de-runk boxwoods and and you know arbovitas
0: over the junipers. I but people don't options. like the stickiness yeah. of junipers.
1: You but know? I always wonder Bingo. who's laying in them. <laughs> well, I think you know
0: <laughs> I have seen some absolutely beautiful uh, banks covered, mm, you agreed, know, yes. slopes covered with juniper. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And and they can get so thick they'll shade out just pretty much any mm-hmm. weeds yeah. from coming in there. The uh, particularly percumens dana, the Japanese juniper, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a little slower growing, mm-hmm. but it's very thick. Is that and, the green
1: mound? Uh, that, no, that you said
0: no percumens juniper. Uh, it's almost like a is, blue rug or, yeah, or blue just, Pacific. It has it's stickier okay mm-hmm. uh, than blue Pacific. But it is uh, to me, it's it's one of the prettier ones. But what about the ones that are upright?
2: You know, like the you know the skyrockets and the uh, the the blue point junipers.
0: You know that grow more upright. That grow more like an arbavida. Yeah. And there there are some better ones. I think skyrocket I've never liked because when it gets up eight ten feet tall, it begins to open up and yeah. wants to fall apart. Yeah. yeah. Um, but for, if you keep it young and if you keep it sheared on this year's wood it'll get thick as it can be yeah you know you can trim them back anything that's green and it'll just repop back out and be beautiful it, but it seems like i don't see as many
2: of these upright junipers being planted as you i do you know the arborvitaes and the other the sky pencil hollies and the you know. i the, think
0: the the realization now that people have that's that junipers are associated with bagworms particularly and mites of course yeah has kind of Push them away from pushed them. Push them away from them. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, we're learning how to garden better, also, and then there's products that can take care of it as well. My favorite low ground cover juniper is the Blue Pacific, I'm, and uh, because it is softer, I like the texture on it. Uh, it's great. I even used it in containers because it still trails over. And it I, gives I some do good like evergreen. Blue Pacific. Yeah, it looks cool with the rocks, you know, <clears throat> in there where it can kind of blend or trail over the rocks i like that look
2: but a lot of people forget about that as a low growing shrub and this is what it is it's a very low growing mm-hmm. shrub uh it needs a you know a good sunny area but i'm telling you when these low growing junipers are
0: established they are bulletproof mm-hmm. they are unless it's too wet <laughs> <laughs> that in the, this one plant that seems to like um Low growing junipers, and that's Bermuda grass. Exactly. It's all in them. Yeah. You, know, yeah. You, you cannot grow Bermuda grass under a tree in the least bit of shade. Mm-hmm. But, but it but will by grow. golly, it'll grow right <laughs> up underneath your juniper. So, Jim,
2: you know, <laughs> okay, taking me to that, you've got, let's say, grassy weeds like Bermuda growing in and around your ground cover juniper. Well, we know there's some over the top products and grass be gone products that you can spray in a lot of ground covers to kill the Bermuda and not hurt the ground
0: cover. What did you say on the juniper? You have to be a little careful there. Uh, It can spot the, particularly the blue junipers. Mm -hmm. The bluer they are, the more likely they are to be damaged by the the over-the-top type chemicals. Yeah. Um. So you want to be really careful. In fact, I sometimes think it's as much. It's not so much the chemical as it is the carrier. Uh, the, whatever oil-based here, I mean the inert ingredient. Yeah, is because in there. junipers <clears throat> even don't like to have dormant oil sprayed <clears throat> on them. Uh, you know, it seals up the ability of the plant to move oxygen. And I have seen just really light applications of a, of a growing spray right. cause some browning on them. Yeah. Uh, so you have to be very be aware. careful there. So test it. Take a take a branch, one air, tiny little area. And just spray it, and wait three or four days, and see if you have any reaction to it whatsoever. Uh, if you don't, then do a little larger area until you're <laughs> comfortable doing it. Uh, but you do have to be a little careful uh, with the blue junipers. Golly, yeah.
1: uh, you know, there's one time where you—they're not you, but they're. What plant do you grow to attract insects? Not you do it intentionally. You, it's a cactus. Hold the on. nopal, the nopal cactuses, the um, prickly pear cactus. They're growing them in fields to attract <clears throat> a certain scale. Yeah, yeah, and the scale is used to make red dye.
2: Hold on a minute.
1: Yeah, it's just it's. I can't even say the name of the scale, but it's the the color is called cochineal, ca- 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 I think. But it's a scale that grows on <laughs> prickly pear cactuses naturally. But they harvest the scale to make a
2: particular type of dye. Because we all know that certain plants are susceptible to certain insects or diseases. For example, if you plant a golden euonymus, okay? Right. At some point, you're going to get scale. I don't
1: Sometime care. Sometime the next day. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a different looking so true, scale, Jim. too. But they brush it off into bags. It takes 70,000 yeah. scale oh, to God. make um, a pint or a gallon of red dye. And, and
2: what do they use this dye for?
1: Beverages and makeup. Beverages, uh huh. I bet it's more makeup, a, it makeup than it anything. I have, be- I have
0: seen the scale. Um, when I was mm-hmm. at uh, worked at Stringers down Midtown, yeah. Th- somebody brought in a cactus that was so covered with scale you could hardly see the green. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we treated it with uh, with uh, metacloprit. I just got, wouldn't right. think cactus would be susceptible to scale. Oh, I've seen you know, that I've too, grown yeah. them for years. I've had uh, now my prickly pear cactus got zapped this winter and they didn't recover. Mm-hmm. And what's really strange, mm-hmm. just down the street from me there's one planted uh between the mail between the the sidewalk and the street. Didn't even went top kill. It. And that's probably yeah. one of the most
2: horrible area I mean just places you could mm-hmm. plant yeah. a cactus as far as making it yeah. through
1: the winter i wondered yeah. how they were going <laughs> to do i saw one that was next to the and it, street and sidewalk there's maybe
0: a different variety which i mm-hmm. suspect too because the one i'm growing uh, in fact uh, rick Pudwell told me he didn't think it was winter hardy here yeah but it went through every winter that we had now the year that we had the snow yeah. it just killed it above the snow line okay right. but underneath the snow it, it just recovered yeah. and grew back very quickly it's amazing.
1: Uh, Cactus are amazing. Yeah, but this uh, year
0: m- uh, we uh, it, it yeah. didn't come back yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, they they the this has been practice has been done for a long time. It started, uh, it moved into Europe from Mexico. They started doing it there too. And originally, the red dye was used for. A lot of stuff, you know, but now when they invented the synthetic red dye.
2: Right. They didn't need to scale anymore. Right.
1: So, but it's still used in beverages. It doesn't say which ones, but beverages (laughs) and makeup. Stay away (laughs) from the
2: red colored
1: (laughs) beverages. Right. All right. (laughs) So, let's go to another break. And y'all can uh, post questions on Facebook Live or give us a call two six zero five nine two six 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid South Gardening. Glad you can join us this morning. Love yeah. to hear your questions or post your questions on Facebook Live. I'm Veda with Palladio in Memphis.
2: Yes, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Center. I'm the other guy. Jim. Jim is Jim Mr. with Jim with me. over here. So
1: you Jim's know? the administrator of the Facebook page. Yes. That's where you find Jim. A big time Mid South Gardening. Six, One seven thing also and
0: eight. we saw this week, which you don't, we haven't seen very much. Uh, someone posted a picture of a cypress. Uh, twig gall hold on cypress, oh, yeah. twig, gall. cypress yeah. twig gall i have seen trees really so heavy with it that they look like they're weeping cypress you oh know. wow and I, and, and this is a I woody
2: gall that's on the limb yeah it yeah.
0: starts off kind of soft and, and flexible uh it looks like a little white ball that's hanging on your cypress and then it hardens up into kind of a woody thing uh, I saw them on my ball Cypress had in my yard in Bartlett back in uh, in the eighties. Is that kind of like the oak tree gall? Gem it's similar. This it's... is this is caused by a midge though instead of a wasp. Okay, but still an insect. It, right, yeah. right, and uh, they look like about one inch little Christmas ornaments when they're hanging on there. You know, um, but they're um, you know I haven't seen very many people ask about them. So is there... now does that would that harm the the cypress, it doesn't appear so. Yeah. Okay. It just—they just seem to—they feed on the on the, the tissue inside of it as that gall forms around yeah. it. Um But it doesn't appear to affect the overall health of. Them, but no. I guess if you didn't
2: want that and you wanted to try to control the midge that's right. causing it, either you spray or you get the drench, the you tree s- and shrub drench, drench, drench that you it, pour yes. around the trunk of the tree. Right. But and but the oak tree gall. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll see an oak tree that's got these big. Woody knots Mm -hmm. On the limbs up there And then a lot of times The limbs fall out of the tree And you still see These big woody knots on there Uh, And that is caused by a wasp Mm -hmm. That will sting the tissue Sting the limb And then where it makes the sting It forms that And it lays an egg Injects an egg It forms that woody gall Mm -hmm. And to me Those are unsightly I don't guess I mean They can be somewhat detrimental to the oak tree because a lot of the tissue would die, you know, after, you know, where the gall is, especially the older galls and they, you know, they fall out of the tree. So I guess the same thing with an oak tree. If you get the tree and shrub insect drench that you just mix and pour around the base of the tree, that will also reduce the amount of oak tree gall that you see. Right. Um, because... Even though it doesn't kill the tree, a lot of things don't kill the
0: plant, Right, just, but they weaken the plant and make them look horrible. It can make them susceptible to other things, you know, because they are depleting the food supply somewhat. As it girdles that thing, then usually the tip beyond that dies, and and then it will break usually on the other side of the gall, and then it falls and makes one heck of a dent in your car. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, they're... Um, or your head. Or yeah. your
1: head. I was going to say, your now, head.
0: Now, that... Big ball that you see is actually the second year growth. They were laid mm-hmm. the year before, and it makes what looks kind of like a little pyramid on on the the, the stem, uh, and then that gall forms the second year. So um you know so it causes it de- it causes a deformation in the tissue big time that's right so get get that imidacloprid to me is the best way to control it yeah uh, i like again get it down in january february when the sap is starting to rise yeah. and that will take it all the way up to the tips of the trees where you want it uh and uh, in in it will over a period of two years you'll see them fall off and and then ultimately not have any more. Now, are there any galls out there that are m- not insect-related at all, but more fungal-related? There are. We're seeing already some azalea leaf gall. Um, and, uh, and those are look like waxy leaves. The leaves have bloated. Uh, and <laughs> It is, it is <laughs> the yeah. most horrible-looking <laughs> thing. Right. Uh, and again, they're not affecting the health of your plant. You do want to um, cut those off and dispose of them if you allow them to mature and then fall to the ground. Right. You're likely to have more next year. Yeah. So cut yeah. them off and dispose of them. Uh, I've heard recommendations to spray a fixed metal fungicide afterwards, like maneb, berzine, copper, or yeah. copper, or something yeah. like that. Uh, I'm not sure that there's really a need for that um, because you you only see it early in the spring, and I don't think it would reoccur. Uh, so, I just trim them off and throw them away, and, uh, and the problems.
2: Over. So, be, be, that's what I've said. Be, because you hear the word gall, don't automatically think that all galls are an insect related no. problem. Uh, some no. of them are definitely fungal. And then I've even seen insect galls on the foliage of trees oh, yeah. where you have a leaf, okay? And on that leaf or within that leaf, little, you've got these little, little, little bubblets little in there and, or little balls. Embedded in the leaf, and in every one of those, there's a little worm in there, and it just baffles. And it's like, how can a tree survive with this
0: many gall mm-hmm. on every leaf that's on this tree? Right. And one of the most severely affected are pecan trees. We have pecan phylloxera, which causes those little ball galls in the leaves, and they can significantly reduce your. Uh, crop, yeah. So you want to control those, and again, imidacloprid is approved. Believe it or on, not, you can pecan use that on yeah. exactly. Amazing. It doesn't pass into the nut, so it's very safe to use on pecan trees and stone fruits. Mm. Uh, it won't pass in there. Um, and you, this you, is the same product that we use. Oh, now, crepe myrtles to
2: control crepe myrtle bark scale.
0: Right. Now, you can't do it on things like figs for boars and that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. You can use it on dogwoods and and those type things. For boars, it works very well. Uh, But it's not approved for use on figs because it can move into the fruit.
2: And Jim, would it control
0: most boars? It will. Yes. Yeah. It's a little more difficult with the emerald bark boar. Right. You've got to have it already in the plant. Okay. Um, because yeah. they bore straight in and then get into the heartwood, which is difficult to get the chemical into. It's in the outer layers of the bark, so you want to make sure that it kills it going in. Okay, <laughs> makes so sense. You right, need, right, you right. Need to be proactive <laughs> on on those type bores
1: Difficult sometimes to be proactive. It always sneaks up on us. Yeah. And back to the cactus. One of <laughs> back to the cactus. Also, cactus are sequ- great CO2 sequestering plants oh no hold on yeah you they, to they absorb to a lot of co2 carb more than a lot of other things and they're starting to plant fields of them for that reason too to help sequester the co2 so it's going to be
2: government mandated that we all plant cactus plant right? some
1: cactus yeah it just helps and you know i had read one time that cactus were good air purifiers i'm like no you know can it really be but like like they say you know you in nasa they did all this experimenting, but not in real homes and right. things like that. In, but an it, enclosed,
2: it is, in an enclosed capsule. Right. When
1: the people are thinking air purifiers, <laughs> they're thinking that you're going to go in and it's like, oh, it smells so good in here. You know, it's wonderful. But they were also, because I was reading on um, a science site that you could like set them by your computers, you know, where the all that stuff's emitted from electronics mm-hmm. and it would Help with absorbing or sequestering that, but a you know, cactus. It's Who not, would have yeah, thought? But it's not gonna like clean all your air in your room or anything. But cactuses have way of, because you can make jelly out of the prickly pear, and it's been like that one where they were harvesting for the scale. What they would for do, the yeah, yeah, for the dye, they would um, also use it for harvesting for jellies and things like that.
2: Yeah, well. and to me, you know, a house plant is this beautiful you know thick foliage or long foliage or variegated foliage plant right Mm -hmm. in my in my vision that's what a house plant when i look at a cactus it's pretty neat i mean it's not a to me a typical house plant but they can be really attractive you get a, mm-hmm. you, you can get a what they call a low bowl, you know, which is a, a clay bowl that's got a low profile, yeah. and put cactus oil in there, and you can put different types of cactus in just this what they call a low bowl. That's what I love to see them in, and have a great looking container of cactus. All
1: right. Well, there's so many more <clears throat> new cactus on the market now because you know the availability is becoming easier. And it's just just not your typical looking barrel cactus. I, I yeah. posted a, on the uh, Mid-South Gardening Facebook page, like for Foliage Friday, and one of them was a little cactus. And it's just so cute, but it reminds me of a fatillary caterpillar, if I'm saying that right. It's got little <clears> black <throat> uh, thorns off of it, but the cactus is green and it looks like little sticks. And it's really cool. And most
2: of these that I'm talking about, you know, you have to bring inside in the wintertime. Yeah, but yeah. Jim was having some. He actually planted some outside that were hardy cactus, yeah. which still blows that my mind prickly, around here.
1: prickly pear. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: And not saying that you can't have some winter damage on them because you sure can. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like banana trees. There's banana trees that we've talked about that you can plant outdoors. that come back every year. The same thing with some right. of these cactus. Yeah.
1: Cactus do better indoors than succulents, I'm seeming to think. They're a little seeing, bit I've easier. always felt
0: the difference. You know, no. almost all cacti are full sun-loving plants. Yeah, uh, Other right. than the tropical type <coughs> and, the, you know, like mm-hmm. um, uh, the night-blooming cereus and things like that. Oh, yeah. Those, are, those can tolerate indoor conditions much better. Uh, but su- most succulents, I think, do fairly well inside. Mm-hmm. I th- maybe uh,
1: I think it's me by not having <laughs> enough me. light. light on, issues.
0: Not having enough light <clears throat> on them, you can see them elongate and get some funky-looking growth yeah. patterns, uh, and that's just because it's in too just low not, a light. Just not getting enough sun, right? But many of them uh, will grow quite well without mm-hmm. any full direct sunlight but you still have to have bright light bright, so light,
1: yeah yeah it can't be on a dark table over, no. uh-huh. yeah
2: and we all know that cacti need good drainage of mm-hmm. course that goes without saying you know, i mean look where they naturally grow so a cactus soil or a well-drained soil is paramount when you're mm-hmm. growing cacti all right.
1: all right we're gonna take a break y'all can call us 901-260-5926 Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Now that maybe you're a little interested in cactus, like we were talking about, I have the trouble with the succulents indoors, growing indoors. Mm. And What about
2: outdoors? Any problem with... No,
1: it seems to be...
2: Pretty straightforward, yeah, pretty easy.
1: Yeah, mm. pretty much. We're, we're thinking maybe I'm letting them get way too dry and then getting them way too wet. And then mm. we went into the fact that, of course, it could be the soil... Because if the soil's really loose and you water it really good, the soil's going to just drain right
2: out. You know what? We do that, though. If we have a plant that we know can take pretty dry conditions, we let that thing get bone, bone, bone dry before we put water on it. It's just because we think it can take it. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's the best way to do it.
0: You know? You know, the cacti that I have outside, they water almost every day. Yeah, see? That soil dries out thoroughly every day. So it is the soil that, in your case, Jim, that makes the difference. it's uh, it, it's not so much the fact that it's cacti; it's just because it's hot here, you know. And <laughs> when you're talking about most of these, come in a three or five inch container, right. so it, there's not a lot of root mass there, so you know the wind can dry that out in a few hours. So yeah, you
1: I, know, we were talking about aesthetically pleasing and all of uh, that earlier. There's we sell this these moss baskets and it's on preserved moss, moss baskets, moss bunnies, moss yeah. gooses or geese. Yeah. <laughs> <Right. laughs> but the moss purse it's really cute, but it looks really good if you put succulents in the top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is is succulents and moss don't grow in the same environment. Mm-hmm. So when I see it, I I'm more I see it more horticulturally than mm-hmm. than aesthetically.
0: Is the moss alive?
1: No, it's preserved. Okay. So, I mean, it's okay. It still works. but the moss it seems, is there for
0: the appearance. Yeah,
1: it seems uh, bizarre because you're not trying to keep the moss green and alive because it's preserved. So, it's fine. So, you're not going to be messing up on watering. It just seems like I put two different environments together. So, aesthetically mm-hmm. pleasing it is with the moss purse with all the succulents or the cactus in them.
2: Well, and then moss, you know, people buy sheet moss. They buy preserved moss. Mm-hmm. Uh, to use as liners, and then like you're talking about, you can buy containers that already have moss on them. But there are also people that have moss growing outside or in in their landscape. And depending on where it is, most people, it seems like, just don't want or like moss. Um, And I've seen areas that are actually beautiful in moss. But let's just say if you've got some moss out there and you don't want moss, then what do you do? You go out there and you can do kind of three things if you can. One is you can aerate the soil where the moss is growing because we all know that moss likes soil that is very compact. Okay, And a lot of times over the years, our soil becomes more compact every year. So aeration will make it less conducent for that moss to grow there, right? Secondly is a lot of times the soil is becoming slowly acidic on us. And that's where we typically put lime down to raise that pH. To make it, there again, less conducive for moss to grow. And this is the catch on the third one. is A lot of times it's a shady, moist area. Or high shade. It doesn't have to be deep shade. And you know we tell people, is there any way that you can create a little more light in there? And a lot of times you cannot do that. <clears throat> but if you do do the aeration, and you, even if you do the lime, and then of course there are some moss killers that you can put out to kill the moss, you can really stay ahead of the moss problem, is my mm-hmm. point. You know, yeah. I'm not saying it won't ever come back. It can, but it's very simple. Whether it's a ready-to-spray or a granulated product that you just sprinkle out there, it kills the moss. But my thing is, make it less conducive for that moss to want to grow there to start with. Yeah.
1: Yes, moss looks good in containers too. And it makes <laughs> it just it's just a single thing, just pretty nice, pretty container and a moss ball. In yeah, it it's is. It's pretty,
2: and but it also makes me think of lichen. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, lichen for the most part, if you see lichen growing on the side of an oak tree, psh, who cares? It's not really doing anything to that oak tree.
1: Well, well See, thank you, Jim, t- because <laughs> I want to know, how can it not Well, all be? right,
2: let me finish thank this, you. though. But a lot yeah. of times you see old azaleas, for example, mm-hmm. that are growing in a pretty shady environment. That's where most azaleas grow. They're really crunched in there together. There's no air circulation. And you see a lot of lichen growing on the limbs of these azaleas now to me that would be and potentially more of a problem to me mm-hmm. than the lichen grown on the side of the tree
0: yeah the lichen that's growing on the bark of an oak tree is not affecting it that wood's dead okay and, and then people go hold on the tree's alive though jim but on mm-hmm. the only part of the tree that live uh, that's alive is on the trunk is just a very mm-hmm. thin layer underneath that bark so the, the heartwood's all dead okay The bark is all dead. That makes sense, doesn't it? It's just the phloem and the cambium right there. That's the only part that's alive. So
2: you can see lichen growing on the outside of the tree, on the outside of the bark, and that tissue really is dead.
0: It really is dead. So it's not affecting anything in the health of the tree. Now, when you get it on particularly thin-wooded plants like azaleas, okay? Mm-hmm. It can be an indication that that wood is distressed. Mm-hmm. And it can be from as you said light where it's not getting enough light now to produce much foliage mm-hmm. which can't feed the stems. It can mm-hmm. be from other issues um like irrigation, overhead irrigation, bright, way or too insects. much insects. Yeah. I mean, it can be a number of things like that, but If you're getting, particularly the ones that look like staghorns, okay, that stick away from the plant, not just the flat ones on there. I've seen them. That's usually an indication that that wood is distressed. Mm -hmm. And usually all you need to do is just cut that sucker back hard, okay? Right. Let it flush again, you know, and it's fine. Uh, so, you know, we see it a lot on really, really old. Things. But if
2: you're seeing it really on the trees out there though, is that really nothing to worry it's about? Absolutely nothing to yeah. worry
0: about. Okay. On the bark of trees. Right. Now, if, again, if you've got something like, uh, um, a, uh, dogwood or a young fruit tree that hasn't gotten to the point where it's. Creating its own bark. Yes, usually five, six, seven years. Yes, then that can—that's an indication <laughs> you got some distressed wood and something else is going on, and it's usually bores. Okay, mm-hmm. so you want to—you want to look into that.
1: Well, we sell terrarium kits, and the lichens is included because it's pretty <laughs> as well. You know, you'll see lichens used in a lot of things. You are of, kidding
2: um, me. So you can get a terrarium.
1: Mm-hmm. And you can use it for decoration. See, I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, I
2: would love that, uh-huh. but I didn't know that was even a thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. You can like florist shops and or that do. You can buy. You can buy the lichens actually. You know, because that does look good. Mixed Lichen in. is
0: just a. It's a combination plant. It's a <laughs> fungus and an algae usually that are living together. The algae produces green food, which then the uh, fungus lives off of. Isn't that amazing? Okay? A so symbiotic it, relationship it, there. It, yeah, that's in. Mm-hmm. But it's nothing to worry. Well, about but I'm either. gonna tell
2: you. But what throws people is, especially like on azaleas. I'll get people at the garden center. They'll bring in some uh, some clippings of some dead limbs they found on their azalea. Okay. Mm-hmm. And on that dead limb, they see this lichen, mm-hmm. and they think it's the lichen that killed the limb. But that's, yeah, not, that's the not the case. The case.
1: Yeah, and so yes, you can transfer it over to your terrariums, to your fairy gardens. Oh God, they're just trying to
2: incorporate lichen now. I know,
1: but it does look good. If and it's funny, like people that are crafts, doing crafts and things like that, have no idea that what that comes from. (laughs) You know, because Mm -hmm. we use mushrooms in our designs as well, like shelf mushrooms. You know. Use that sticks. So if you're making a terrarium, what you want to use, outdoor stuff, moss in there, nice little plants. You can create a, a cute little indoor environment.
2: Well, I've got to ask you all a question when we get back in the next hour is I've got some black mold and our algae growing on some portions of the roof of my house. Okay. Mm hmm. I'm going to get something and spray that roof to get rid of it. Or am I going to get something that's homemade, like some Clorox? Is that going to hurt my plants down below?
1: We'll talk about that and cut flowers and so many more. We'll be right back.
0: The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden. With your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder.
1: Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio in Memphis.
2: And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder and I,
1: administrator of Facebook you. page. You know there's a lot of stuff going on like the Cooper Young Garden Walk I think starts this weekend. And then
2: there's a citywide garden walk that Kim Hayak is, Yeah, that's you know, the Cooper Young uh, Garden Walk. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. It's great. I'm telling you. It's
1: uh, it's going, it's doing a lot of gardens this year. A lot of people are in it. So there's that uh, y'all don't forget about through our garden gates mm-hmm. that up, will be coming, coming up. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, independent garden centers have information on it. Of course, you can also go to the website as well. But those are some good things. I think everyone would enjoy going to at least one of them or something because you can see how plants look grow. You so remember right.
0: Dixon Gallery Gardens is free through oh, yeah. twenty four. Is that right? Yeah. So you can go in and enjoy the gardens, and and that's amazing.
2: You had a donor, I think, during COVID, uh, donated um, whatever fund they donated, and it was far free admission for right. people to just mm-hmm. to go to
0: the Dixon and allow enjoy anybody it. To right. go in and take a look at the art and <clears> the uh, and the gardens there. So uh, heck of a gift.
2: Yeah, and, and you know yeah, we always talk about support is. your independent garden centers, and I'm telling you guys at the garden center, and Betty, you're the same way. Spring is it's fun I mean it's busy but I mean but it, it is fun uh and it's great because there's so many still beautiful annuals out there uh and you know every oh, it's year not
1: over at all oh, you know God it's, it's like enough. you said it was
2: so wet and, and and windy and somewhat cool the first part of the spring. I love the weather don't get me wrong mm-hmm. like the temperature but the weather was pretty wet. Then it got hot all of a sudden, and we're like, oh, God, here we are in the summertime. And now the weather's kind of moderated a little bit. But people are – this is the perfect time of year, whether it's tree shrubs, annuals, perennials, ground covers, and everything in between. But the uh, the annual color is still absolutely beautiful and still great selections. And I was talking to a customer yesterday, and she was doing some work for her mother, who had a bed up under this big oak tree, okay? Okay. And they were going to kind of retake, reclaim the bed, if you will, because it had been a bed years ago, and then it got weedy, and it just it just looked horrible. And she said, I want to put some, some uh, perennials in there. And I said, that's absolutely awesome. You should put some perennials in there. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind, the perennials, the good thing is they come back every year for you. The drawback is they don't bloom every day like an annual. She said, we'll go put annuals and perennials in this right. bed,
0: you know?
1: But, you know, like coneflower, it's the entire summer.
0: Mm, pretty much. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But a well, lot of your perennials yeah. have a long, blooming season. we're getting,
1: yeah, getting into to that. Man, you can, well, that's not a perennial, though. But I was thinking of cut flower gardens. And a really pretty combination I saw this year is the helianthus, which looks like a sunflower. Or you can do sunflowers. Yeah, it is a sunflower. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that's no. why it looks like one. <laughs> um, salvia. Or awesome like the, yeah. Oh, or the false Snapdragon, like the Angelonia. Yeah, and, and uh That's a great cut flower. And the uh, bachelor buttons, the pink bachelor and buttons. And then
2: zinnias. And I mean, there's so many. And tithonias. This combination and, was, and, was but, so b- But my point is, you're right, Veda, what you're just saying, is I think in the perfect world, if you've got a, a big bed mm-hmm. that you want to... Uh, you know, landscape, Uh, in in this case, they really didn't want any shrubs in the bed. Yeah. Uh, you know, they could have put some oak leaf hydrangeas and some other mm-hmm. things and hostas. They did have a few hostas in there which are perennials, but they didn't have any shrubs.
1: Yeah, I think what you are, I know when I do a perennial bed, I, f- I first go, first make sure I put in things right that type. you know, you know, like the Russian sage yeah. and the galardia, mm-hmm. um, the coneflower, uh, daisies you know those are your <laughs> substantial ones that are there and you know are going to come back tried and true some of them that are a little bit harder or don't bloom as much i still mm-hmm. use them but like for little specimens in, in certain areas i love the balloon flower but i've never used it a lot what What do y'all think about the a yeah.
2: great perennial uh and usually mm-hmm. it's a blue they come in blues pinks maybe even yeah. whites but typically you see the blue and there's, in my opinion, there's just not a lot of natural blue out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want a fairly low growing, mounding type uh, perennial uh, platyconian or balloon flower, because they look like a balloon before they pop open into yeah. a bloom, yeah. uh, they're very, extremely hardy and very easy to grow.
1: Yeah. You definitely need to plant those in mass so you can enjoy more blooms than just putting one in. But I do like mm-hmm. the balloon flower. These are all sun ones, but shade, um, I always would use a turtle head, blackberry lily, of course, hosta, and a fern. Oh, uh,
2: yeah. You can't leave those
1: out. I like the... The uh, Yeah, the heucheras. The Astilbys. That one's... The heucheras are so much... I love them, but I'm always scared to use them in the ground, but I'll definitely put them in containers everywhere. But if they're in the ground, it's got to be a dry area.
0: And Jim, what about heuchera? Because there's some heucheras that... Yeah, you want to make sure that it's a heuchera velosa, which is native to the southeast U.S. Uh, if it's got that in the background, it's going to do just great in the ground, like citronelle. Yeah, it does that, really yeah, well. Right. Uh, yeah. Caramel, or mega yeah. caramel. Yeah. They do wonderful in the garden, and they're perfectly hardy, okay. but... If you use any of the other Eucharis, um, they're they're good in in containers. Yeah, uh, they're not. They'll come back most winters. Yeah, okay? uh, But if you put them in the ground, they'll rot in a heartbeat. Yeah, it, that it,
1: caramel caramel definitely is the color. Yeah. It's beautiful. yeah, and it looks great, and also the. Um,
0: and they're which evergreen the, so, so, yeah
1: years. that's that's right and the citron, which one did you say the citronil other yeah and that one isn't that like a chartreuse it's a lime, green. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lime yeah yeah with
2: some maybe some venation but you all
1: know. the awesome colors seems to be only container ones and then <laughs> of course
2: hellebores i mean so there's a lot of i'm telling you i i really love shade gardening and i you know to me there's there's if you think about gardens, perennial gardens, I think there's just as many shade gardens as there are sunny yeah. type gardens. Yeah. Um, but you just, as long as you know which ones to pick and choose from, and then you know where you get into the gray areas where you got a little bit of sun yeah. in the afternoon, but for the most part is shady. So you know, with that afternoon sun peeking in there, is it too much sun for a shade plant?
1: Yeah, it's like—is it reflecting off the wall? <laughs> yeah, so you know? yeah. but that late afternoon sun is not so intense.
2: But I, but the cool thing—it
1: always seems intense at four o'clock yeah, for some it does. reason.
2: But but this—the young lady I was talking to though, and we—you know—we were walking around, and I was showing her different perennials, but. When I mentioned, you know, the blooming pattern on perennials, which is great because a lot of them have, some of them have a longer blooming season than others, but the beauty is they come back every year. Yeah. And if you plant enough of them, you can have color from early mm-hmm. spring all that's the way a, to fall. That is exactly right, Jim. But it was funny. She's like, okay, but I'm still going to find room for some yeah, annual color right. in there. You oh, yeah. There yeah. should yeah. always be pockets for
0: annual color.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then if you add the Lenten Rose, you've got blooms and color through Christmas, you know, for the shaded areas mm-hmm. and parts and the Lenten Roses evergreen too. When doing displays at work, I put this, there's a Spirea Ogon, O G O N, that doesn't look like all your typical Spireas, mm. but it's got cool looking foliage and a really nice color yellow. And when we put red verbena in front of it, mm. and it is a showstopper.
0: It's a popper. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You mm-hmm. saw the red verbena, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that one's going to be a perennial Enduro Skate? Yeah. Probably. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. Now, so.
0: uh, again, if we get a winter like we just had, you know, mm-hmm. with a flash freeze or prolonged very cold temperature yeah. or prolonged very rainy mm-hmm. cold temperature, then it might not be right. hardy. Yeah. But uh, I, I had a, I had a red endura escape in a container. Mm-hmm. Came back for about four years.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's an intense situation in yeah. a container outside. Yeah.
0: It was planted in the, in the base of a... Um, <sighs> an oleander with nice mm-hmm. you know Ooh,
1: i like that combination yeah right so and verbena if, if it ever looks bad you can really cut it almost in half and fertilize it and it's going to flush back out soon and and start uh, blooming and again. and then
2: there's the you know the purple homestead verbena mm-hmm. you know and same thing you know more sun than shade it comes back every year but then there's also a lot of the annual verbenas that you can plant, yeah. and they're absolutely great-looking in containers right. or a bed.
1: Yeah, the Proven Winter containers, the verbena with through them, is so uh, nice-looking lot of and different and long-time colors to hardiness, choose like the pure white and the peach mm-hmm. color. There's a lot of different plants that came out, and I'm starting to see growers building in some more foliage. Oh, the blues, type. the
2: purples, the reds, all yeah. those colors.
1: If you wanted to do red, white, and blue, you could do the red salvia. Um, you can use there's you probably the Laguna White Labilia, the Laguna White. There's there a Lobelia? lot of white that you the, can uh, use. Now yeah, now there is. Yeah, that will last through the summer. And let's see the red. The red, of course, is a red verbena and you salvias. Can do that. And salvias. And let's see, red, white, and blue. Blue is the blue days, or even angelonia. Yeah, it can it can almost pass for some blue. And then a lot of sun colors. patients
2: out there. People are using a lot, a lot, a lot of these sun patients that have that much bigger mm-hmm. bloom.
1: Right. All right, break. We were just visualizing. I was in the garden in my head, <laughs> right there. Time for a break. But we'd love to hear your gardening questions. Post them on Facebook Live or call us two six zero. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. If you're listening to KWAM 990 AM News Talk Radio, I have Jim Crowder here with the administrator of the Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8.
2: Right, and here we are at the Mighty 990 Facebook page, uh, Mid-South Gardening. Uh, and you can shoot us a text there if you want to give us a call, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. And, of course, you can always go back and listen to the podcast anytime you want to, Miss Veda.
1: And I have Kenneth Mabry here with me with Dan West Gardens. And, and I've got Veda, had Veda with... over
2: here to the right of me mm-hmm. with Palladio Gardens. And, Veda, what about uh, fountains? And I mean, that's yeah. always a staple. Yeah. Always selling fountains, Right,
1: right. right. Fountains. Man, they add such great sound and interest to your yard. I mean, yeah, you're dealing with water, and you got to maybe clean out the fountain a few times throughout the season. But still, they're oh, it's great. Well worth it. They're great. You can, little water gardens. I like the water gardens where you can make them in uh, containers and just have an underwater grass, a couple of fishes, oh, yeah. a little pump. You know, oh, yeah. it's always nice to have water in the garden. It sounds good. Offers. Just some, just some tranquility. Yeah, and
2: then at the PlatiOS and at Dan West, you'll still find a great selection guys of house plants. You know all the annuals that you would ever want, the perennials, the trees and shrubs, and then of all the, you know, the stuff to fix whatever mm-hmm. the problem is.
1: You've got a lot of good fixer stuff. In and Dan I West. know we got
2: Jim calling in from Carderville, but also we've had uh, Jane, and we'll get to this in just a second. Jane Overcash, she sent us a text on the Monday Nine Ninety Facebook page. She said, "How do I get rid of poison ivy around my camellia?" Without killing it, too. So we'll address that mm-hmm. question also.
1: Poison ivy is a thing. So we'll it's that starting to come then. out now. Yeah, he's still doing that.
2: Okay. All right. So, Jane, and thank you for that text, Jane. So, we got poison oak and poison ivy guys growing around the chameleon. How do we kill it without killing the chameleon? I mean, without. I mean, other than going out there with a pair of gloves mm-hmm. and digging the right. poison oak and poison ivy out, because we know. Mm-hmm. Anything that we spray out there to kill poison oak and poison ivy, if it yeah. gets on the camellia, it's going to kill it also, right? Right. So, so we're going to brush
1: it with a brush killer. Well,
2: that or we're going to brush it with with Roundup.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: But my point is, you've got to be extremely careful using a brush killer around a camellia. I would rather use a brush killer mm-hmm. because poison oak and poison ivy to me is more woody tissue, and that's exactly what brush killers are for. But if you get any brush killer in the soil around this camellia, it's going to have detrimental effects. Roundup, on the other hand, is also a non-selective weed killer, right, that would kill poison oak and poison ivy. But if you got a little Roundup on the ground, it's really kind of disactivated. But, Jim, is this where you still get the bucket, make a solution, get the poison oak and poison ivy? That's what I would do. Yeah, Drop it get the poison oak and poison ivy in the bucket of solution and let it just drink all it wants that way you're not spraying anything around this camellia that would potentially harm the camellia also
1: you no know, yeah. i'm wondering what i did wrong i tried that one time um putting vines in uh in the solution, in the solution and I came back like the week later and nothing happened. I mean, it's
0: not enough time.
1: And I'm wondering what, so it could have, I should have you know, waited like it's two It's like weeks I've got or... nutgrass
0: that I sprayed nearly a month ago mm-hmm. that's just now yellowing right. off. Yeah, I okay? knew it would do that with yeah. that. And most people a... would think, you know, after two weeks, mm-hmm. this ain't working. Yeah. You know, right, but it, is, right. it actually is working. And that's the thing. And plus, you also have to be careful not to bend that um, stem enough mm-hmm. to where it actually breaks. Yeah. Okay because that won't get it to the roots, and you may get some re-sprout. But if you'll pull enough of it down, you know, you don't have to pull the whole thing down, but if you can get a foot or two with a few leaves on it, and then just stick it into the Roundup, and then I I use a margarine cup usually, but you may want to use a bucket like that, and just put it in there, cover it with some saran wrap to keep Mm -hmm. animals out of it, uh and um that it just soak it, it up just let it soak it my, up my impatient Jim, hang self, on just a Yeah, second. my
1: impatient self would be i would just take a, a shovel and try to find the base of it because i mean you're going to touch it to pull it out and put it in a bottle yeah you're going to touch it probably to brush it on yeah uh, or you've got to go get this. You've got to go get that.
2: So you're saying just but maybe see, try prob- to dig it out. But the
1: reason why I think that way is because I'm not allergic to it. Me either. But I would still, I still, even though I'm not allergic to it, put would put gloves on. And, and Audrey I'm texted it in. And, <laughs> Audrey texted
2: in and said, "Just pull with your hands." Yeah. But I agree. So, but let me say this real quick. And Jim, hang on just a second. Whether you're painting on a brush killer, and brush killers you can buy now in a little eight ounce bottle that has the little brush. In the bottle, okay. You just unscrew it. How cool There's, is that? yeah. So yeah. you just take that product and you brush it on every leaf that you possibly can. Just being careful, you know. You're not, you're not diluting or saturating the ground with a brush killer around your camellia. So you can buy a Fertile brush killer that has the brush in it, uh, or if you use something like Roundup, you just want to be very selective. That's Wait all. Wait a
1: minute. So that means her camellia survived.
2: Yeah. So uh, uh, our, so, our.
1: Yeah. So what kind of camellia is that? So
2: Jane, (laughs) so if you're using any of the products, Roundup or a brush killer, just be very selective. Keep it just on the foliage of the poison oak and poison ivy, uh, and you'll be perfectly fine. If not, get the bucket like Jim was talking about, we were talking about. Make a solution and get half of that vine or as much of that vine as you can down into that solution and let it just drink it up. And
1: poison ivy is a really pretty vine, and it looks great growing on a wall. The leaves are nice and big. You don't have any problems with it. It is a nice-looking vine on a wall. It's a pretty vine. It's just poison ivy. But so Mm. oleander is poison, but it's a really pretty, pretty plant. But I guess it's easier to get poisoned by poison ivy. Yeah,
0: and we have had several pictures this week, people asking if it's poison ivy when it's really box elder. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. There,
1: i saw i think i told you all this i saw a billboard going into an area where it was more of a camping area as a camping town and it was a big billboard and it had huge pictures this is poison ivy and this picture is not poison ivy this is virginia creeper yeah because example. people yeah. would go out in the woods and not want to do anything because they thought it was all poison ivy when it was really virginia creeper yep. or what's the other Box one Elder that, yeah, is, yeah, Box yeah, Elder.
0: yeah it's the tree yeah looks like it
1: yeah, it does, doesn't it? Okay, let's go to Jim from Collierville. Good morning, Jim. You're in the Mid South Garden.
2: Hey, good morning. Thanks hey. for taking my call.
4: Hey,
1: Jim. Thank you, buddy.
4: Yes, sir. Um, I've got a house that's got some. I guess it's getting some mold and some greenish growth up on the up on the top of
0: it, and I need to spray some. And I've been told with some some chlorine solution would would be good, and maybe a pressure washer, but uh, it's going to
4: blow over a lot onto some hydrangeas and, and hostas and, and other things. And I just wanted to check before I did that. But.
2: And you're right, Jim. I, I mean, play. I was making the comment while ago, uh, before we went to the top of the hour, I said, I've got to do exactly the same thing that you're doing, Jim. I've got some black algae and some moss, or not moss, but uh, I guess I guess algae growing on the roof of my house. And I said, I've got to spray something up there to get rid of it. And I was looking at Jim, and I said, Jim, I've heard of people using Clorox. Uh, And he, of course, I know they have, but I don't know the solution rate. I'm going to find out, Jim. Oh, you can get it off the Internet. Well, Jim, (laughs) I know it. But (laughs) I'm like Mr. Jim from Collierville. If I make my own solution of anything, I want to make sure that, yeah, I kill the stuff that's on the roof, but I also don't want to make sure that I kill the stuff that, that it drips down on. And also, Jim, I was in some hardware stores uh, this past week, and I saw a lot of stuff that said, you know, roof cleaner, algae cleaner. Uh, and most of the stuff that I was reading said safe to use around, you know, plant material. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never had to do it before, Jim, uh, so I don't know enough about it to tell you, other than the fact I... that read the label and make sure that it's safe to use around mm-hmm. plants. Now, if you mix it yourself, like a lot of people I know mix Clorox and water, I've got to find out what the solution rate is that's not going to hurt plants down below.
1: What about, Jim, maybe on the fountain tech that we use to get rid of algae in water Well, fountains? I think it would be a rather expensive
0: way to do it. This is true. That would <laughs> yeah. be expensive. Um, you know, there are some chlorine solutions that you can make up and there. I'm sure you can find some recommendations on the internet, but I'd read for several But if you're the least bit concerned, buy paint drop claws. They're they're thin plastic. They're, you know, they're a buck a piece for a 10 by 10 or something. And just cover them. And then, you know, if you think you get it on there, wash it off immediately. Yeah. Uh, But that, uh, you know, to me, covering them with a little bit of plastic is just the safest thing to do if there's the least bit concerned yeah. about hurting your plants
2: yeah and Jim it's, it's crazy we were talking about exactly the same thing in fact I've got to do exactly what you're talking about within the next week or two
0: and I told Kenneth I bought a couple of those bottles that you spray on there like four years ago and they're still sitting in the garage <laughs> <laughs> so, and eventually maybe my son will get to it I don't know <laughs> we hope so
4: Well, great. I appreciate it, guys. Hey,
0: good luck.
2: But also, I will do some research uh, because I want to know, like Jim wants to know, I want to know, and I'll look at different sources also, if you're going to do it, do it yourself. Mm -hmm. If there's something at home, whether it's ammonia, Clorox, whatever –
1: well, what do these people use when they're the ones that are cleaning roofs? A That's lot what I'm of them use Clorox yeah. because yeah. it's
0: cheaper than the products that you buy that are labeled for mm-hmm. roof cleaning. Mm. So they mix up their own when it's Because they
1: don't have to replace the plant. Well, they might if they burn them to death. But I see that they put cloths and. Yeah, most down. of them
0: cover them with plastic. You know yeah. to make sure that they don't damage. All
1: right, thing. let's run to a break. And when we get back, we'll talk to Jerry from South Haven. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you could join us today. Y'all can catch our podcast if you've missed some of this show. And let's go to Jerry from South Haven. Thanks for the call, Jerry. Good morning.
2: Hey, Jerry, I see your name up there, and I see roof cleaning beside it. So maybe you've got an answer for us.
4: Uh, Well, I had my roof cleaned a few years ago.
2: Yeah.
4: And basically they use, uh, I call it bleach, you know, chlorine. Yeah. And he, they covered up all the bushes and everything. Mm-hmm. But the only downside was when, because uh, I had gutters on the backside, then when the water came off the uh, roof into the gutter, mm-hmm. then you know drain to the grass and mm-hmm. killed the grass.
2: Yeah. So there you go. So, so you had this, any spot where you had a downspout and this chlorinated water was coming down and into the grass, I guess you had like this little... Stream a nice little brown spot. Yeah. It'll be darned, and it lasted over a year.
1: Yeah, okay, it killed the soil and the microbes and everything in the soil. Yeah. Now, oh, how like,
2: did the roof? Yeah. So you had people come in and do it for you, and it, I guess right. it, it looked great when they were done. Oh yeah, it looked like a new
1: roof.
0: You know, was okay. it
1: concentration? Yeah. Of everything running off into the gutter and all concentrated. Yeah, and, right and
0: the roof, uh, roof company I had come out a couple of years ago and give me an estimate on cleaning the roof said that they would uh, bag the gutters to catch that water. Mm-hmm. Oh, be dirty. Yeah. Okay, so that'd probably be the right way to do it. And yeah.
2: Jerry, you said it was chlorinated water, so it was a water chlorine mix or water Clorox mix that they used uh, to clean those those uh, the asphalt, I guess, on the roof of your house.
4: Something like that. And you you could smell like you had that bleach smell in there. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Most of them do use bleach. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, my friend. Mm
4: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My azaleas, that's like four by four. I mean, they're big. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had three along my fence. One of them, you know, came out in the spring. Right. The other two, I thought, they're gone. Yeah. Then the other day, I got got looking, I don't pay much attention to them. They're sprouting out. They're going.
2: They're going to make it. Yeah. It is Jerry. It's amazing. Here it is, mid May, and we're just now really starting to see some new growth on some of these plants that we thought were completely dead. You know, azaleas. A lot of the azaleas out there, I knew were just toast. I'm telling you. And for the most part, they're going to be fine. The eras we were talking about last weekend. I thought every era in Memphis. Or in the Mid-South was dead, dead, dead. And we're starting to see some new growth on those. So you're right. For those who are Sometimes
4: patient. I, up, I should have left, but at the same time, mm-hmm. they were a hodgepodge of colors. Yeah. They didn't bloom at the same time, so I just yeah. replaced them all. Yeah. There were just eight of them.
2: Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: So it wasn't too too terribly yeah. bad. So
1: Yeah, so now you've got a good look that you can enjoy. Yeah. And, yeah and, it,
4: and hopefully. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway. Y'all take care. Right. Thank I'm you my friend. To McDonald's, so I'm not going. Oh. <laughs> I hear you, Jerry. Thank <laughs> you, buddy. I'm getting ready to go to a car show. Oh,
1: that's, that's even good. Better. Love that. Yeah. Have
4: take a, care. You have a Bye. great
0: weekend, Jerry. Always good to hear from him. Did a little research during the break here. University of Georgia recommends a 75% solution of household bleach to water. So a three to one And that sounds like a lot. Jim. It does. That's almost using straight chlorouts. But the Asphalt Roof Manufacturing Association yeah. uh, says that the most effective method of cleaning algae and moss is with a fifty fifty mix. See I think I would go with that. But I still but they yeah. don't say anything about either one of those, what kind
2: of damage it can do to our Trees, shrubs, no. grass, ground covers, whatever. Yeah,
0: I would cover, or okay. if you're using a tank sprayer, you ain't going to have to worry about it because you're not going to be putting off enough water to come over the side. Yeah, It's where you if you try to do it with some tor- sort of high-pressure sprayer yeah. or a hose-in sprayer, yeah. that's when you're going to worry about getting drift. Well, and that's drift what I would use, Jim, because everything that I've even seen that you buy mm-hmm. from a hardware store is either
2: been a concentrate that you dilute uh, and, or it's been a ready-to-spray right. that you just hook your hose to.
1: What if you just use a pressure washer not, and and clean everything off and then overspray it with a moss Be, killer? Because I've seen Did what you? pressure
2: washers can do to
1: anything oh, yeah. well, you use it on. It on. Your tip and pressure, of course. Well, but right. I'm wondering, you know, I mean, I, I can see. Yeah, if you're not experienced with it and you're standing <sighs> up on a roof and you crank that pressure washer, it'll there throw you right shingles, off. Yeah. yeah, or if you hit, hit up under there, but... You know, I got to think of something. I got to do a little
2: more research. I'll let people know what I use and, and uh, how well it works, but also and how many shrubs it kills. And how many yeah, shrubs. That's right. <laughs> Gosh, so uh,
1: if you got, um, I mean, we, we recommend this a lot of times if somebody gets overspray with herbicide on the shrubs is washing, washing and, and watering. Yeah, yeah immediately. immediately. Or Jim, like
2: I said, they'll cover them and wash. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Jane, who texted in a while ago, that was asking about how to get rid of poison oak and poison ivy around her camellia without hurting the camellia. You know, we were saying you just got to be very, very careful, very selective. Um, but... um Audrey said, of course, pull it with your hands. And then Mark Salesman said, I cut it off and put a little crossbow, which is a combination of 2,4-D and triclopyr, which is a brush killer uh, on it, uh, which would definitely work. And um, Jane, you said Jane, when you said Veda, well, clearly she's got some camellias that made it through the winter. Jane texted in uh, Overcash, the same one that had the problem, and said, these are Camellia Japonicas. And yes, I have two that survived. Uh, one that was about 10 foot tall and then one that's about 5 foot tall. And she said they don't look great, and they were planted by her dad, which is great, uh, over 30 years ago. So she is determined to save them. And she said she was advised to put ammonium sulfate and epsom salts around them about every two weeks now mm-hmm. and then About use a liquid plant food about every two weeks.
1: Would you do an ammonium sulfate?
2: You can if you use it lightly mm-hmm.
0: uh, and make sure you water the product in because it is it's ammonia. I mean, it's going to yeah. be... Converted uh, converted into uh, nitrate, nitrate mm-hmm. which is going to, you know, make it jump.
1: Yeah, so it's, yeah.
2: So just a light yeah. application. Make sure you water it in. Of course, the Epsom sauce
0: is nothing more than magnesium sulfate.
1: And prune it. Maybe right. prune it in half.
0: But I would, mid-summer or so, check your pH. Make sure that it hasn't dropped it too low um, to where the nitrogen can't be absorbed. And what do we want a pH, Jim? Mm-hmm. I mean, ideal Five and a half for camellias. Five and a half. Yeah. Not five, not
2: five, five and a half. Okay, because yeah. uh, to me, when I think of acidic loving plants, I'm thinking, okay,
0: man, let's go acidic as we can.
1: Mm-hmm. Who cares? I know. You feel like, you know? yeah, no. uh, you
0: get you get it too low, and some plants can't take that in, um, particularly if you've got a lot of aluminum in your soil, which we mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's some plants that like it down there. You want we you know, for blueberries, we want to shoot for about 4.8 is ideal. Oh, yeah, which, is really yeah. which is really acidic. Which is really acidic. But but I understand where Jane's coming from because
2: these are two camellias, japonicas, and her dad planted them, so they're sentimental. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. So, yeah, uh, Jane, and I see no problem doing exactly what you're doing, uh, but just be light-handed with the ammonium sulfate because it can burn. Uh, and I would only use the Epsom salts, Jim, what, maybe a couple, two or three times?
0: You don't need a lot of salt, even Epsom salts around these camellias. You really don't. Uh-uh. You know, the sulfur is what you're really going after there, because yeah. it's going to help green it up. Um, but yeah, you want to you want to be careful overdoing it. We had uh, years ago we had to go into some azalea gardens in Midtown where the pH had gotten down to four. That'd burn and your that'd burn your him. feet walking across <laughs> it. You know what had happened? They had taken recommendations that they had read about putting Epsom salts around their azaleas, and right. they had done it. Every year, like for twenty years, and it it is a sulfate, right? And it eventually got the pH down to where they could not feed. So we had to lime the Azalea beds, Which to is get the, unheard of. I know. Of, get, yeah. the, get the pH back up in the five-and-a-half range or so before they would recover. Now, we're not saying don't use Epsom salts. Epsom salts has – I love the product. Yeah. I mean, it greens
2: things up, and it, you can get some you know, some bud break by using uh, Epsom salts. Some so, of
1: the organic mixtures have a little oh, bit of Oh, sure. Magnesium yeah, sulfate
2: in, in there. Yeah. But we're just saying that it's, it's, don't use it every time you feed a plant yeah. because, like Jim's saying uh, – You can get so much sulfate in the soil, turn that soil so acidic to where Mm -hmm. it's counteractive of what you're trying to do. Right? Right.
1: All right. Let's go to a break. And then after the break, we'll go over some more things for you. But remember that um, I don't know what to tell you to remember because I forgot. (laughs) We'll be right back. (laughs) Good. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome to Mid South Gardening. Glad you can be here with us today. Yeah, um, I was wondering.
0: Are you going to tell us what you were uh, yeah, I was wondering, wondering?
1: I think I remember
0: last break when she <laughs> went out.
1: I don't know what I was trying to remember. Yeah, she Who was knows? like, I get, I don't know, don't know, shocking a plant. <clears throat> Shocking a plant. Why? You mean like Jim shocks the squirrels
2: that are trying to get his birds? (laughs) Right. You know,
1: we always talk about shocking plants. Like the only reason I know you shock, because what I'm saying, people and plants and animals and all that stuff's the same, you know, pretty much the same. The only reason you shock a human is to get their heart started. Okay. Why or, are we sh- or their
0: brain refunctioning. That's yeah.
1: true. It is true. That is so true. Or your muscles. Maybe I need to go put my finger in the light socket, and yeah. I can remember.
0: Or your muscles being treated with a TENS unit. We yeah. use electricity a lot.
1: So um, so we're shocking our plants by using fertilizers.
0: Different kind of shock.
1: Yeah. So, and that's really yeah, not explain. a good term. That's what I'm thinking. I think we use the wrong term. We really about. do, because yeah. what
0: you're doing normally is just... uh. Giving a plant extra nutrients, okay? We consider it shocking when we do something like uh, dogwoods or wisterias that are refusing to bloom. Yeah. We shock them. What we do is just give them large amounts of phosphorus. Yeah. Uh, And usually we stress them by cutting their roots. Uh, So it encourages them to reproduce, and that's their only function in life. And to bloom. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So you know, it's not really shocking. It's just using fertilizer to the way to target what you're wanting it to do. And think about it. I mean, we,
2: you know, most plants create their own food anyway through photosynthesis. Uh-huh. They got ways to mm-hmm. to to survive to make their own sugars. I mean, plants in the woods, you know, no one's out there feeding those yeah. plants. Mm-hmm. But in our landscape, we want really nice looking shrubs and plants growing the way that we want them to grow you know
1: so of course we don't have to fertilize in the woods because humans aren't there causing or removing all the organic matter for them to feed on sure so they can survive with no fertilizer and well, they don't only need photosy- fertilizer in that setting. right <clears throat> but when you're putting out in your landscape they can't survive unless you keep the soil healthy. Well,
2: hey, we're raking every leaf and that so, falls down on the right, ground. We're right. never, you know, you go into a forest there, the topsoil is accumulation of orga- or organic matter that's been accumulating forever.
1: I mean, it's dead insects, dead animals, yeah. uh, leaves that are <clears throat> decaying, grass that's decra- decaying. We don't, for the most part, ever let that, allow that of to happen. Of course not. Even
2: mulch, we yeah. kind of usually break mulch so off our, or blow it out of the bed.
1: Right. So our plants can't, survive on nothing
2: but we're saying that that's why we do a lot of feeding in our landscape mm-hmm. though whether it's the tree and shrubs that we're feeding or even our lawn that we feed in because we
0: want it to look not just okay we want it mm-hmm. to look really mm-hmm. good it's not necessary that you feed anything but you won't get the best results out of it yeah. if mm-hmm. you don't yeah uh like tony avant who owns plant delights nursing one of the most intelligent plant guys in the world got the largest <coughs> selection of plants that I, you know, probably mm-hmm. in the country, maybe in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And he never fertilizes anything. Mm-hmm. The key is getting the soil right. Mm-hmm. That's what to, we're talking about. To the environment that that plant prefers.
1: Yeah, because if you
0: do that, yeah. it will survive. Yeah. All
1: right, because amending the soil and using organic. Uh, we should we should really say organic amendments instead of organic fertilizers right? because we are fertilizing the soil or amending the soil with all the good nutrition and then the plants taking it up. So we're not really literally feeding now if you're using um, like the triple 13s or the six twelve twelves. 12s things like that, then you consider that fertilizing because the plant's utilizing it immediately.
2: Really fast. Yep. But also think about this, even this year with all the winter damage that we had, right? And then in the spring, you know, we went out there a lot of times and just cleaned out or cleaned up a lot of dead stuff. We were cutting all the dead tissue off of there if we knew it was dead. Well, then we started feeding because we're feeding because we want to help stimulate growth. Now we can all be patient and wait and see what happens, But no, I'm not going to do that. If I know I can feed these plants to speed up the process, uh, I'm going to do it.
1: Well, it's like you can tell almost what type of fertilizer a grower uses, uh, if it's a fast-acting or a Mm -hmm. slow-acting, because if they're using a real fast-acting fertilizer, it's where you see. And I've heard a lot of people say this. You've got a lot of great-looking foliage up top, blooms. Everything's great. But then when you pull it out of the pot, there's hardly any roots, Mm -hmm. and that's because they never did anything to fertilize the soil or the roots it's just getting the top looking good
2: well yeah i mean that's why you don't
1: see it all the time but you know that's how that's what's happening maybe they've got their mixture a little wrong on that
2: well but most people even people that have never ever fertilized honestly their their shrub beds Mm -hmm. did some feeding this year because there again because of the when we came out through this winter and all that damage that we saw out there. And even like uh, the, you know, Jerry was saying a while ago, we're just now seeing some foliage mm-hmm. flush back out on some of these uh, shrubs that we thought were really dead. The only thing that we can do as a homeowner to encourage that new growth, other than some, some pruning, is to feed the plants. Uh, and so that's why we do it. We do it to stimulate growth. Now, I know there's a million different fertilizers out there. There's water solubles. There's quick release, like mm-hmm. you're talking about, VEDA. There's slow-release, coated nitrogen fertilizers and organic fertilizers. As long as you're doing it the right, proper way, I don't care which one you yeah. use. Neither does the plant. Mm. Neither mm-hmm. does the plant. And, I, and I've said this. I remember Jim said many times over, if you just turn the label around, yeah. the plant doesn't right, know what right. kind of fertilizer
0: you're giving it, right? But it
1: does know what kind of soil it lives in. This is true. Yeah.
0: And that's what is the key. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. I am re- land- I am landscaping the area around my daughter's pool mm. uh, to make it a tropical-looking oh, yeah, paradise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's coming along very nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's heavy clay. Uh, hold on. Okay. Say that again. What, what plants are you putting in there? And- I'm putting in tropicals. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm putting in a lot of perennials. I'm putting in, like right now, I've got amaryllis in bloom. Uh, but I'm putting plants in these beds that will tolerate that heavy clay soil. Okay. And so you're not going to try to change the soil no, structure. I add a little amendment when I'm doing site preparation. Okay. okay but that's going to go away in a couple of years. And right. so it's, it's that, going to go that back that to plants got to be able to survive in that heavy clay soil in some areas of it stores water I mean keeps water on top for a day or so. So those are, I've got hardy hibiscus in there. I've got uh, um, crinums in there that will that will. is el- that amazing? That a little yeah. prep work thinking about what plants are going to do well in this type of soil. Long-term, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, if I plant delphiniums in there, they're going to be good. They're going to bloom once, and then I'm not ever going to see yeah. them again. Nope. You know, so y- you just need to do a little thinking ahead when you're planting these. You know, just because you're doing it. Right at the moment doesn't mean yeah. that that plant's going to survive long term like that. So, you want to, if it's got to have good drainage, it's, it's got to be elevated. Mm. Okay. It's got to be way up there where it gets mm-hmm. air in that soil and can never stand underwater. Right.
1: Because so you're not going to plant a dogwood
0: there. Not planting a dogwood <laughs> there. But if you yeah. did, you would plant well, it high. That's right. I did some deciduous azaleas, but they are planted high. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they do like a little moisture, but not standing in moisture. Yeah. So i've got those in there i've got a lot of banana plants i've got hibiscus i've got uh here he crotons. goes again creating another landscape i remember the last house That's he right. was in he t- created a beautiful jungle over so there we're, we're just you know we're going to put things in there that will survive okay mm-hmm. that long term day lilies uh stokesia uh i put rain lilies in there i've got lots of bulbs my speckleia, I dug some speckleia. Just dug up a chunk of them, uh, and moved them to the house and set them on a on a, a plastic bag until I could plant them. I hadn't gotten it done yet, and, and they're sure throwing they're up still alive. Yeah, they're throwing up right, blooms. You know, fine. I'm keeping them moist. They're, they don't know they're even out of the ground. And what y'all, and,
2: and day lilies. You know, because to me, when I think of a day lily, the first thing I think of is the old ditch lily. You know that we yeah. saw. 40 years ago that everywhere and, yep. but there's so many great looking blooming re-blooming day that are on the market now much bigger blooms all the different colors they don't get as tall they're more of a dwarf variety but for some reason i never just think of daylilies when i'm thinking of perennials but they're one of mm-hmm. the best perennials oh, they are
0: in the world yeah. to plant yeah a couple of times lately i've passed a uh, one of our, our members uh Theo Terry lives out in Somerville when I pass his house on when I'm going to fishing or one out, Jeremy. There you go. uh, And he has hundreds, hundreds of varieties of daylilies. Because he just likes the perennial. Yeah. Yeah. And he plants tons of bulbs and just, he has a spectacular garden. Uh, And All carefully marked, you know, which I've never really done very well.
2: And what about you? I mean, don't you? I mean, you love them when they're they're in bloom. When they're in
1: bloom, yeah. And some of the newer varieties and all have great looking foliage throughout the whole season. There's some varieties that seems like the foliage looks ratty all summer. Of course, that could be the soil was too tight no, or there no. was Are it they, too much shade. Or it needs to be
2: dug up, but, divided, and replanted and need, gets a little more space between them. You
1: need to look at and think about where you put your daylilies as, say, for instance, if it's in a perennial garden, the daylily can then turn into a shrub. You can look at that foliage like a green shrub. Yeah, And so that can look good in a place. And then you just have the bonus of the bloom And you're done.
2: So you're telling me that also daffodil foliage, I can look at that as a green shrub? I'll never look at daffodil uh, foliage that way. uh, We'll be uh, back next week.
1: Yeah, let's keep going. We'll see you next weekend in the garden.